kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? gentlemen and welcome to uh auntie nanny um the auntie nanny portion of the show will start right after this so <clears throat> first up this evening the croissant update um good evening alex good evening can you hear me i can hear you perfectly well so Fantastic. what is new and exciting in the world of vaping um well i actually I can't remember the last time we sat down to do one of these. I know. Has it been like a month and a half or something? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, so, yeah, a lot has happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always enjoy December to some extent because it kind of gets quiet uh, a bit, uh, at least for us, um, mm -hmm. some to a little bit. Um, but, uh, it's January, uh, closing, closing down the second week of January and, um, everybody's coming back into session. I was trying to get an impressive number to throw out there of all the states that have gone into session in the last couple of weeks, but it should suffice to say that it's a lot. Um, and we already have a bunch of legislation that we're tracking. Um, so, um, I guess I could probably uh get right into that um it, for those who were paying attention i guess on monday or before the weekend i can't remember when we put it out um new hampshire had a couple of bills um one of them we're not really paying too much attention to it's a child resistant packaging bill uh, okay. which is kind of silly at this point because um that is the law of the land uh but this was being written specifically for uh cartridges uh, okay. and, and i don't know i talked back and forth with, with greg conley about this a bit and okay. um that may apply to like pre-filled tanks um but oh. for the most part it kind of sounded more like cartomizers that come with your disposable e-cig okay. um and they want the, the sponsor wants like held proof cartridges it's 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 strange and and it's um it, it is kind of a silly i mean i hate to say it but it's kind of a silly bill uh, you know it's 
we are child resistant packaging is the law of the land and and that's that i don't know how much more they actually want to improve upon it and whether or not you know we are talking about certainly there are other areas where child resistant packaging could be applied um so maybe focus on those right. but uh but we're not really paying much attention to that bill unless it gets weird and picks some strange okay. amendment um the other one is a tobacco product definition bill and uh, again uh, it's necessary chain statute sort of a separate designation for electronic cigarette and um uh it, it's uh it's sort of unnecessary purposes of of uh to minors it's already in the statutes and it's already the law of the land mm -hmm. sure um uh, and, I, and i actually see the chats i'm sorry i'm chopping up a bit i'm weird you know we're, we're sharing wi-fi with with uh my brother-in-law so it's not uh may not be ideal i apologize for any sound quality issues um so uh let's see the other policy issue that we're tracking is uh where's my main page here tobacco 21 oh this is i mean we've been kind of warning people about this yeah um for a while mm -hmm. uh Wow, why is that one? Okay, I'll get to taxes in a second. Um, but uh, so Tobacco 21, I'm like, now everything's being weird on me. Sorry. Tobacco They're... 21 is, is, but it's it's like everywhere. Every time you turn around, almost every headline, everybody's changing to Tobacco 21. <laughs> yeah, it's still, you know, the municipalities are doing it and... Um, uh and and states are, are jumping on board so um new jersey not a surprise new jersey's been trying to raise the age to 21 for a couple of years now several uh counties and municipalities in new jersey have already raised um the the age uh, i just found out that my city union city new jersey um uh, uh jacked it up uh and uh so we have tobacco 21 legislation in new york state in mississippi in texas iowa nebraska oregon and washington so far uh, and i was actually just going through our list of new discoveries before we came on so there might be a couple more in there um and uh and then i was just looking at taxes there's a tax bill that just got introduced in massachusetts um, and this is a 40% uh, wholesale tax. Uh, fortunately, they, if, if there is a bright side to this, um, they did not opt for a floor tax like uh, Pennsylvania. No. So, um, yeah, Massachusetts is the new one. We also have tax bills in New York, New Jersey, Virginia, Oregon. Um, there are uh, some, uh, I believe uh, Paul Blair puts together a map every year. So there's some other threats out there. I don't have that map handy, but uh, it's always good to check out. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so those are kind of the big ones and everybody knows about place bands and potential flavor bands and other things. Um, there's also licensing bills are going to be something to pay attention to. It's difficult for us to engage on unless they get really ridiculous, but um, licensing bills are certainly picking up some steam and the problems there can be, um, you know, requiring retailers to purchase only from licensed distributors or wholesalers. Uh, and then you have, you know, people not, you know, consumers lose access to the wide variety of products that are out there. So yeah. just something else to pay attention to. Um, <clears throat> and then I'm, I apologize if I'm rushing and speaking too quickly, but I, uh, I yeah. need to get to dinner. Um, sure. the, uh, other thing, the two things that came up while we were not doing these things, I'm sure people are, um, have, hopefully have kind of seen posts about FDA announcements yeah. that have been happening. Um, before today's, uh, there was the announcement that the FDA will be holding a workshop on uh, battery safety. And mm -hmm. this is coming up in April. Um, yeah. uh, we're not exactly we're still working. We are, we are working since this is new. We were working on what kind of uh, input we might Kasa might have uh in this workshop um i've uh, been put together with some some people that should be regarded as experts uh not just in batteries uh as they are used for electronic cigarettes but generally batteries um and so uh, we'll be working on our own contribution to that um so more to come for that um also I don't know if it's up yet, but uh, uh, we should have up in our store uh, soon. I would say, let's just be on the safe side and say early next week, right. um, we will be selling our own battery cases um, awesome. that have the CASA logo on there and it says practice safe vaping. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, we're selling them as cheap as we can so that... Uh, Retailers might want to stock them and, and participate in, in sort of our developing battery safety education campaign. Right. Um, so I, I don't know how many we have, and I, I but I, I suppose we should think about getting a steady flow. It's a, it's a, it's a decent message. It's a practice. It's a play on practice safe sex. Right. Um, obviously, but another condoms, another harm reduction product. Um, so uh, yeah, they look nice. They are uh, durable and, uh, you know, promote safety. So be on the lookout for that. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing uh, from the FDA came out today. Uh, I, was it today or yesterday? I think it was today. Um, was the revised guidance to uh, vapor shops mm -hmm. um, regarding, uh, like, when you're a manufacturer. This is kind of stuff that we've sort of talked about since the deeming regs were, I guess, proposed. Um, but there's some clarification there and, and, uh, and I, I don't want to get too into the, too into the weeds and into the details on it, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it basically confirms a lot of the things that we've been saying and, and it's, it's good to, I think it's, it's potentially good for retailers to have some sort of guidance from the FDA Right. Um, telling them, you know, I think more clearly what interactions from with consumers uh, 
can be like. Uh, I have seen some sort of misinterpretations of the deeming rule and uh, to the extent that people think that they can't even demonstrate how to put together a product. Um, you know, you can show somebody how you can have a display piece that you put together yourself and show someone how to do it. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a very silly way to have to do things, but um, you are allowed to do that uh, as long as you're not putting it together for them. And so this guidance, just at first blush, you know, reading it over sort of, you know, puts it in writing that that is actually something that you can do. Um, uh, if anything, uh, there is a small entertainment value to reading the guidance because um, one of the scenarios that it sort of sets up is if a consumer comes in uh, with an atomizer and wants you to put a, a new coil on it that's a different resistance than you know what the manufacturer specs say or what they had on there before mm -hmm. well you'll need to file a pre-market tobacco application in order to do that <laughs> and as i'm reading this i'm thinking to myself i was like this is this there's some there's some satire in here there's something like this is a video someone walks in and says hey man can you put a coil on my addy and you know it's like okay so that'll be it'll probably be about five years uh and uh i'm gonna need probably two to ten million dollars <laughs> will that be cash or check you know it, uh, it's utterly ridiculous they really don't understand the product they don't i i think i think they do <laughs> i just don't think they understand how absurd they're being um no i i think this is the scenario that they want um and it's uh and it's sad yeah yeah Oh, okay. So, so, um, well, on that cheery note, um, I guess I will be coiling my own devices. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, worst case, the guy behind the counter or girl can show you how to do it, uh -huh. and that is still, you know, fair ball. Um, so, and there's some other things in there, I think, that, that retailers should be interested in. And, and generally, I think consumers can benefit from reading these guidance documents. Um, I would like to, to put something together. Possibly we'll post something up over the weekend. Um, possibly, uh, you know, telling consumers what they can expect when they walk into a vape shop. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it, it, it's good for consumers to be aware so that they're not walking into shops blind and, you know, when the person behind the counter says, well, I can't do that for you, you know, right. hopefully avoids some uncomfortable yelling and screaming about bad customer right. service. So um, I think there's a role that we can play there to help inform people. Um, so, yeah, that's that. And I, I really quickly, I know I said I was going to keep this to 15 minutes, but um, it's a new year. We have a new Congress in DC. Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of things going on. Um, you know, we're we're going to have a new Secretary of Health and Human Services. Mm -hmm. um, this person hasn't been confirmed yet, but that's on the horizon. Hopefully, this is somebody who has a completely different attitude about tobacco harm reduction. Um, which may open the door to some policy changes for us. 
um, ultimately, you know, hopefully with the new administration, we can look forward to some sort of core, you know, culture change at the FDA. Uh, that's, you know, a, a, we need an FDA that's more open to tobacco harm reduction. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's, that's one thing to look forward to. Uh, the Cole Bishop Amendment, or something like it, is still on the table. Uh, it is not necessarily our only shot, mm -hmm. but that that effort to modernize the predicate date right. is still very vital. Um, mm -hmm. There will be an omnibus bill, or cromnibus, uh, <laughs> that comes through in... March, I believe the end of March, beginning of April right. uh, is what people had, they had, had sort of been extended to. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it, the, the, the Cole Bishop language is still in that, that omnibus bill. Right. Um, so that's still something to keep our eyes on. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not going to go into details, but there is also uh, the potential, the likelihood of uh, mm -hmm. completely separate legislation being introduced um, and I, I, I don't really know how much I can talk about it. All I can tell you is that it's different than, it's not just modernizing the predicate date. Um, right. and it could be far more substantial than, uh, than that, but, mm -hmm. uh, it is entirely likely. It is, is something that we have been talking about that both of these efforts will be, are part of a large, the larger strategy. Um, we are not talking about competing legislation here. Cole Bishop doesn't compete with this other bill. This other bill doesn't compete with Cole Bishop. Um, right. it, is, it is the two things working together. Mm -hmm. um, I think people working in this issue acknowledge that manufacturers and retailers need some ray of hope in order to keep doing what they're doing and stay in business. Mm -hmm. uh, and modernizing the predicate date is, as a first step, absolutely vital to keeping that going because... Mm -hmm. When we start talking about uh, changing uh, changing laws, changing the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, changing the Tobacco Control Act, whatever, mm -hmm. when we get that deep into it, the likelihood of success starts going down. It becomes more and more challenging to get something like that passed. So sure. um, what anything that we can do, whether it's a legislative strategy or other legal strategies uh, to hedge our bets and try to keep the industry going, uh, and protect our access to these products, um, we need to consider that all to be a part of one big strategy. So um, I know that there was a lot of, uh, as far as I'm concerned, nonsense that happened last year with this whole idea that Cole Bishop and HR 2058 were competing bits of legislation. Mm -hmm. um, that was never the case. And uh, I think people misrepresented that scenario to the community. <laughs> And people broke off in these weird factions of, you know, like support 2058, no support Cole Bishop, no support. And, and you know, it, it ultimately caused a lot of confusion and, um, and it really just wasn't. Oh, right. And it didn't need to, um, they, they were both, um, essentially seeking to do the same thing. So it didn't need to cause any sort of factions. Yeah, exactly. So we're likely to see kind of a, I think, a broader range of legislation at the federal level, a broader range of, of, of you know, individual strategies. Mm -hmm. um, but there, at this point, it's not, uh, it wouldn't be fair to say that 
it's going to be one or the other or you right. know or anything it's 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 important to note that uh, all of these things are going to be working together mm -hmm. yeah so that's important uh, working together working to get this so that we have some sort of relief as an industry and as consumers that's the big thing and um yeah that's important so yep. I, I guess is that it for this week Alex? that's it for this week um okay. sorry to be so brief and quick i will uh have i'll be more relaxed next week but uh, i don't know if you can hear it or not but everybody's coming over for dinner so well um have a nice dinner, Alex, and thank you for everything you do for us. And it was great to hear from you again. So yeah, likewise. We will see you next Friday. Awesome. All right. All right. Good night. See ya. See ya. Okay. Now, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Auntie Nanny. <laughs> um, with me tonight is the bubbly and vivacious Miss Jeannie Kay. Are you here, Miss Jeannie? I'm still here. She's still here. All right. Um, and the best producer, Money Can't Buy. Very, how are you? I'm good. Good. Don't know if I'm and here I'm, or not, but you know. You sound like you're here. I, I'm, I don't think you're a figment of my imagination, but you might be, and I doubt that, though. So, Very's here. And our good friend Jeremy's here. Hi, Jeremy. How are you this evening? I'm doing good. How about them Cowboys, y'all? Uh, yeah, you're talking, you're talking football to a girl who I don't do that stuff. Um, so it's been an interesting week. We were just talking about the passing of the wet foot, dry foot bill and how quickly that went through, um, which was interesting. Um, we we're talking about some other stuff. I'm sticking something in the chat that I'm not going to read. <clears throat> that uh, people who are interested in Microsoft uh, might be interested in reading. Okay. So, I guess, who wants to pick a story? Somebody pick one. Your private medical data is for sale. I thought this one was hilarious, just the references to Les Miserables. <laughs> Your private medical data is for sale, and it's driving a business worth billions. This is, I believe, from The Guardian. Um, although information is anonymized, data miners and brokers can build up detailed dossiers on individual patients by cross-referencing with other sources. And your medical data is for sale, all of it. Adam Tanner, a fellow at Harvard's Institute for Quantitative Social Science and author of a new book on the topic, Our Bodies, Our Data, said that patients generally don't know that their most personal information, what diseases they test positive for, what surgeries they've had, is the stuff of multi-billion dollar business. But although the data is nominally stripped of personally identifying information, data miners and brokers are working tirelessly to aggregate detailed dossiers on individual patients. The patients are merely called 24601 instead of Jean Valjean. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> At the doctor's office, Tanner told the guardian, you close the door and you think, I'm telling my doctor my most intimate medical secrets and only my doctor knows about it, but it's sold commercially. Patients are reduced to gender, age, particular ailments, and neighborhood. 
Then Tanner said data miners cross-referenced that information with data from pharmacies about who they sell prescriptions to, held by big drugstore chains like Rite Aid and CVS. In a new report from the Century Foundation released on Tuesday, Tanner quotes Per Lofberg of CVS, The patient is not really a component of this because their name and connection to the prescription have been stripped off. But other forms of data, such as information from fitness devices and search engines, are completely unregulated and have identities and addresses attached. A third kind of data called predictive predictive analytics cross-references the other two and makes predictions about behavior with what Tanner calls a surprising degree of accuracy. None of this technically violates the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA, Tanner writes, but the techniques do render protection of HIPAA largely toothless. Data scientists can now circumvent HIPAA's privacy protections by making very sophisticated guesses, marrying anonymized patient dossiers with named consumer profiles available elsewhere with a surprising degree of accuracy, says the study. The problem over time is that you have more and more information. There's more and more about who people might be, Tanner said. He's lived in two different cities recently. He said now he will teach for a year in the small city of Fairbanks, Alaska, population roughly 32,000 people. On an index that cross-references people who have lived at addresses in all three cities over a five-year period, an easy-to-find set of data, the researcher said he could easily be the only entry. Tanner says that non-medical data, which people might consider less private, is in fact easier for the owner to control. You could try to choose your doctor based on what systems they use and whether those systems sell your data commercially, but you often have insurance through your employer and you don't have a choice. Many companies trade in medical data. IMS Medical, uh, sorry, IMS Health is the one Tanner names most prominently in the Century Foundation report. But IBM Watson and General Electric also have business and patient info. The legal right of business to harvest and sell the information of individual patients without their permission has been upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court thanks to a case in which conservative justices ruled in favor of IMS Health and against the Attorney General of Vermont. In 2011, the High Court struck down a Vermont law restricting the sale, disclosure, and use of records that revealed the prescribing practices of individual doctors, knowing that corporations' right to free speech trumped individuals' right to privacy. We need to discuss this, Tanner said. Data miners and brokers often don't want to talk about it because it's a multi-billion dollar trade, and they say there's a great chance to advance medical science. They don't talk about the real reason, which is marketing and sales. The question of whether or not to use individual medical data in the interest of private corporations should be up to the individuals, Tanner concluded. If there's a chance to advance medical science, let them make it the case to we the patients. If you want to donate your data to science, that's great, but you should have the choice. Right now, we don't have the choice. Sure enough. Completely true. And I feel bad for the UK because all their medical data went out out into the cloud didn't it they Um, hooked everything linked everything together with the um the nhs yeah yeah the nhs all the data between all the different departments is linked but they ain't allowed Mm -hmm. to sell it to third-party companies well no data protection act right but there was something about it all went up into google and then they've done some complicated stuff with it yeah it's been encrypted on through Google and everything. So, yeah, it's out there, but it's not a case of it can just get used by anybody. Um, well, I mean, that's just here, I guess. That's sort of something we do, which, I, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of the 23andMe thing, where um, people are signing up for 23andMe and they're getting their 
DNA read for what they might be vulnerable to. Yeah. And, you know, nobody reads the terms and conditions, which are 25 pages long and might call for you to sell your child's soul to Satan. But a lot of that data is getting sold. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's in the TNC of... that the data belongs to them, not you. Yep, exactly. But, um, there's ticky boxes in most European countries. And mm -hmm. to share the data with third-party companies, they've got to put a little box in so that you basically have to opt in to let opt in to let them share the data or opt click ticket to opt out of them sharing the data. Yeah. They're they're not allowed to just automatically do it. Well, here, I mean you really don't own your own DNA, you don't own your genome. Um essentially I guess something to look at is the life of Henrietta Lacks, who without Henrietta's cancer-prone cells, because she had some really horrible cancer, what we know about cancer today would not be possible to know. But her family, and she don't own her own genome, and her family's living in poverty, and corporations have made billions of dollars off using their mother's DNA. It's, it, it's a really screwed up system. You are born you own your own body, but you don't own your own genome, and apparently you don't own your own medical data, which can be freely traded in this country. I find that kind of disturbing. You are a commodity. Anybody else have anything? Well, that reminds me of the uh, that girl that was born with that condition uh, that essentially made her not age. She mm -hmm. was stuck for, I want to say, like 30, 35 years in the body of a toddler. And they said that her DNA, um, it, there was a chromosome that was added or it was excluded. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it was exactly. Um, I watched a documentary on it on Netflix the other night and that they were, they were trying to map her genome to mm -hmm. determine what actually causes us to age so that we can essentially turn that off at a certain point. So that, you know, in a sense, we can be immortal. Uh, I, I'm not sure I want to do that, but I think it's sad that you don't own your own genome. That, I think, is really sad because that's, that's basically made up of your parents' DNA. What you are comes from who made you. But you but don't see, own that. But see, then that gets into the conspiracy theory also of uh, why we have birth certificates and that the government actually owns you and you are the product of GDP for a country. And I mean, well, you, you essentially you are. Um, there's no denying that you. I keep telling people to read Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. There's a reason for that. Very. What is the wealth of the nation? The people. Yes, exactly. Um, you are the wealth of it, and that's that's well documented from the 18th century outward. Really, you are the wealth of the nation. Without you and your ability to be a productive human being, there is no wealth of nations, right? So you essentially are. Um, I can't say I yes or no about the birth certificate thing and whether that has anything to do with stuff, um, but I, I do know. I do know it is a tr publicly traded commodity, people's birth certificates, which is kind of fucked up. So there is that. Uh, Jeannie, anything? 
no, 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 no. I, I have nothing nice to say. And I'm pissed <laughs> off about other shit, so I'm just going to shut up. Okay. Do you want to pick a story? Or... Sure. This, the story I was really thinking you were going to have in here, you didn't. Okay. It wasn't in here because that thing about that guy in his car in Michigan really pissed me off. But um, we can bitch about food because that always annoys the shit out of me. The Tampa one? Yes, ma'am. Okay. This pisses me off, too, because this keeps happening. And it happens where I fucking live. Okay. In Tampa, Food Not Bombs activists arrested for feeding the homeless again. See, it's not enough in Florida for them to take and imprison a 98-year-old pastor who uses his own money to feed the homeless. No, we have to arrest the anti-war activists for trying to do some good. <clears throat> okay. Temperatures were dipping into unfriendly territory Saturday afternoon. Sports fans flocked into the events at Curtis Hickston Waterford Park. At nearby Lakes Gaslight Park, members of Tampa's homeless community were gathered for hot coffee and bagels, courtesy of the group Food Not Bombs. There were no altercations, no illicit substances, no bad behavior, unless you count that, according to the city of Tampa, that coffee and bagels were illegal. Why? Because you have to have a special permit in order to offer free food to the needy in city parks. But obtaining a city permit to feed the homeless twice a week, to set up a table and open a bag of chips and bagels and spoon organic beans and rice from a pot can be pricey because of the insurance policy the city requires. And given how often they do it, homeless people have to eat frequently too. That can add up. Volunteers with food, not bombs, knew that their actions were technically illegal. They had been warned about it earlier in the week, and they did it anyway. As a result, seven people were arrested for feeding hungry people in a park. Some were arrested still wearing plastic gloves with which they served food. When police arrived on the scene, they gave the activists three minutes to stop feeding those in need. Then they moved in, pulling the volunteers away as they continued to serve. Please help yourselves, one could be heard saying to those still gathered as he was dragged off. A man who reached for a last-minute bagel was also arrested. In an email sent to press Saturday night, the group said it has no plans to stop sharing food with the homeless and hungry and will continue to de defy unjust laws that criminalize compassion and mutual aid. That includes a planned gathering Tuesday at 8 p.m. I'm sorry, 8 a.m. in the same location. We intend to expose the city's cruelty in the face of thousands in our community who are struggling with the issues of food insecurity, mental and medical health issues, poverty, and homelessness, a spokesperson for the group said in an email. If the city will not address these problems, the least they can do is not get in the way and stop others from addressing those needs. Compassion should never be criminalized. This isn't the first time activists with the group have been arrested for feeding the homeless, and Food Not Bombs isn't the only group to have been arrested in Tampa for feeding the homeless. Also, Tampa is not the only city in Florida in which it is illegal to feed the homeless without proper paperwork. In Tampa, the group said it has done the same thing in the same park over 100 times with no trouble, and some suspect it has something to do with the college football playoff, national championships, and related events taking place in Tampa throughout the weekend. Um, yeah, Tampa is one of the really bad places. I think, was it last year? We talked about the pastor they arrested. Oh, um, we've, we, yeah, but we've covered him a couple of times. Every time the poor guy gets dragged arrested. back to court and, yeah, and yeah. rearrested and everything else. So now, and I have a question here. Mm-hmm. You, you can't get arrested if you invite someone into your home and feed them, correct? As far as I know, that's technically not illegal. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're not selling the food. Yeah. 
So they're not selling the food to the homeless, correct? No, and the homeless have no home. So if they set up a a tent on some private property, mm-hmm. why can't it be a um, family? You know, I just I just don't understand why there's not a way around that. I mean, and the insurance policy thing, I I really just don't get. <laughs> I mean, I can understand if they want to be if they want the the board of health guy to come in and check and make sure the food's the proper temperature. I mean, I, I can I I I guess I get that right, um, right. because I mean, with with all of the dehydrating I do and the canning that I do. I have had people on several different occasions say, well, how do you know you're not going to make your family sick? And I look at them and go, because they fucking did it the right way. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I don't understand a city fighting the fact that its own citizens want to provide out of the goodness of their hearts for the homeless versus donating to some organization that is going to take from 20% to 80% of that money and use it for administrative costs and use the remainder to dole out um, government foodstuffs that I wouldn't feed my family. So I just, I guess I'm just absolutely floored that people who want to help their own mm-hmm. are not allowed to do it. You know, and I agree with you. Um, the government should not have a monopoly on helping people who need help. Churches should be able to do it. Um, private charities should be able to do it. An individual should be able to do it if they feel so moved. But I don't know what it is. Especially now when the Western world has the highest level of homelessness it's ever had. And and we're supposed to be the greatest nation in the world. Um, At least that's what our government keeps telling us. But I mean, Jan, this is is as moronic Mm -hmm. as the the guys that during the floods that were going in and, and rescuing people with their own boats. Mm-hmm. And some stupid fucking Congress thought, oh, well, you know what? We'll we'll make these guys have a license. We'll make them get a pay a fee. Yeah. To rescue people and get in places we can't get into. The Cajun Navy is what you're talking about. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't want to say it and get it wrong. And I knew you, because <laughs> you have a mind like a steel trap, would remember. <laughs> Yeah, some idiot in our city council here in Houston, he said the same thing the last time that it uh, last time that it flooded because one of my friends, he's got a big, huge, jacked up truck and he's got other friends that have big, huge, jacked up trucks. And that's what mm-hmm. they spent their time doing was going out and pulling people's cars out of the floodwaters and towing them to safety. And when the guy said it in open council, he got laughed out of the place. So, Well, yeah, but Texas, you do live in Texas. So that's kind of different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Texas, hey, Texas. Patron state of, patron state of blowing crap up. <laughs> well, te- Texas, Texas has always been a little bit different than the rest of the United States. Yeah, and we're I, I think the problem comes from the fact that places like Florida are, um, have you ever heard of what they call Californicators? 
there are people who've moved out of California because the taxes are so high. So they set up homes in like surrounding communities and, and they bring their own uh, attraction to these laws and things with them that are, are very costly and wind up jacking the taxes up around them wherever they go. Um, I, I think we see a lot of that here in Florida. We have a lot of really weird mixes of laws and communities and stuff because people come from so many other places. Um, we just call them snowbirds. Well, no, but not all of them are snowbirds. That, but, yeah, that's true. But all of them bring their politics with them. And that's the same. See, that's the same way with the uh, with the Islamists that are coming over here wanting to invoke Sharia law. Like you left the country that you were a part of because it sucked. Stop trying to make the country that you want to live in the same shithole that you left. Um, Tennessee, Tennessee has this thing um, they call um, a lot of people halfbacks, okay. and 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 the realtor asked us. They said, "Well, um, where are you moving from?" And we said, "Well, um, Pennsylvania." And they're like, "Well, where do you live now?" And we're like, um, "Pennsylvania." <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, so you 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 weren't in Florida or anything?" Uh, no, why? No. Because they said um, a lot of people. Um, that move into Tennessee mm-hmm. are former snowbirds um, that when they retired, they were going to live in Florida full time and mm-hmm. decided it was fucking hot and moved half back. <laughs> so, so yeah, so they call all these people like halfbacks. But listen to these stories about this food. I had all intent in the greenhouse is going up in the spring. Right, right. Um, the, the one in the basement, not only is it providing for my family here, but I mean, I am sending produce to the neighbors. Um, uh-huh. We have really good neighbors here. And, uh-huh. and that's one of the nice things about being here. I mean, I lived in the country in Shingle House and your neighbor didn't give a fuck about you <laughs> as long as you mowed your grass. They didn't care. Yeah. Um, but down here, it's it's different it really is different i mean shingle house is a third of the size of the town that we moved to right and and but and we moved outside of town i mean we we live in the sticks Mm -hmm. but all these people are are wonderful and i had my greenhouse is going up in the spring and i thought you know what i'll do is i'll take all the extra that I'm not using and I will put a vegetable stand out front. I'll have Paul and Bernie build a vegetable stand and they can carry this stuff up and put it up there. And I put a sign on it that says, you know, if you'd like to donate towards seeds, please do. But if you need food, please take it. Mm -hmm. I'm half afraid to give anything away. Um, The the laws might be different where you live. You might be if you're going to give stuff away, you might be better off giving it to the local. I'm assuming you have a homeless charity there. No, they you don't. don't. Have a food they, no, 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 they don't. Um, did you see? I mean, you've read about the fires in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, right? Yes. Okay. Um, all those people were going to be cared for, even if the Red Cross hadn't come in. Right. Um, of course. And- well. The Red Cross is well because I mean people here, they they take care of each other. Um, there was a lady that lived at a house um, on our road that passed away, right? 
all the neighbors for three months went and tended her flower beds and took care of her yard. They didn't know her kids. They didn't know who was getting this house. Right. But she liked it taken care of. So they just did it. And that's what people down here do. Um, they they don't necessarily, I don't, there is a, there's a Goodwill store. You can, right. you can take stuff to the Goodwill store and it's way cheaper than any Goodwill store I've ever been in in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's different down here. You know, I mean, Dolly Parton, um, people can talk shit about Dolly Parton and her boobs all they want. Um, <laughs> that woman is, is fucking amazing. Um, because she immediately went into all of her foundations and her businesses that she owns and says, mm-hmm. what can we do for these people? And every person that lost their home during those fires, mm-hmm. um, is getting a thousand dollars a month for up to six months to yeah. help them get back on their feet. And so that they had a place to go. I mean, there's no strings attached to it. There's no, there's no nothing. That's, that's just the way people are here. And it's really kind of surreal, especially when you come from someplace that nobody gives a fuck. It's, you know, I, and it's because I grew up on a farm. I grew up in the country. We all just took care of each other. You didn't, you just did. And very, you grew up, you know, in the outdoors and stuff and i'm sure where you lived people just took care of each other when stuff got hard you know uh, that's always the experience i've had that everybody just took care of each other and now the government is getting in the way and the government unfortunately well um this is kind of food related but have you seen the latest thing the scottish government just started doing no all new parents now get like a box of baby stuff from the government. Oh, is this, is this like what the, the they do in Finland? Yeah. Where they deliver, like, well, Finland... Little packages with basics. And, yeah, I mean... But most of the parents, funnily enough, are going, uh, we can't use half of what's in the box. <laughs> <laughs> or we already have most of the stuff that's in the box. And right. the government's like, well, you're getting it anyway. And this is going to cost, well, like, six million pounds a year or something. It's like... Well, why not give that to the people who need it, not the people who... <laughs> right. Well, I mean, in, government. in fin- yeah. government, yeah. Finland, oddly enough, the, the reason they started delivering the baby boxes to people is because they had such high rates of crib death, right? Yeah. And they delivered you diapers and onesies and formula powder and, and bibs and, and all sorts of things in this wonderfully designed box and they undertook this health education campaign to tell people, no, 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 you put your baby in the box and you put the box by your bed so you can always hear them. And they, yeah. re- they dramatically reduced their child mortality rate. And that's why Finland started doing it yeah. because just telling people, put your baby in a box, they were like, yeah, but you I know, have no my... idea why they've rolled it out fully in Scotland. Even the health <laughs> services don't know why they did. Um, well, because we've you know, got the wonder, NHS. Why, why, yeah. why do they even need to do this? I don't know. It's See, weird. I wonder if that's a budgeting issue, though. You, you know what I'm getting at? Spend all your budget or no, you don't it's get just, it next year? No, no, no. Yeah, because it's Florida not even does that. that. 
it's not even that, it's just the SNP trying to trying to be nanny to everybody. Well They're not smart enough to have used it as a budget tool. <laughs> well, your your government is definitely everybody's nanny. Uh my government um hopefully is starting to roll back that idea. But I understand where government thinks it needs to protect people's basic needs. I, I get that. But after we were talking about the Cajun Navy and stuff, did anybody see the pictures on social media of when the Salvation Army came in to feed these people who were homeless after the flooding, um, what they were giving them? And they, they basically drove the churches out. They basically had the cops drive the churches out and tell them they were no longer allowed to give these poor people who had no clothing, no food. They were living in like school shelters, basically um, food. They had beautifully prepared meals from the ladies who worked at the local church. They would spend all day making like um, jambalaya and, and things like that. Things that are hearty and, and stick to your ribs. And the Salvation Army was giving people a snack pack pudding two chicken nuggets and two servings of peas. And that was what the government was paying them for essentially. So they drove the churches out. I just, <laughs> I understand where they were concerned about the temperature the food, etc. But at some point the government needs to back off. I, I have to say, I've never been a fan of the Salvation Army. I'm not either. I don't like what they've done. Um, Haiti. Yeah, Let's good talk will about for that Let's, let's talk about Haiti. What the Salvation Army did in Haiti, where they got some of the government, our government's aid money, and went in to build houses. They said they built 1,500 houses. They built six. Basically, those six houses would have cost like $70 million. Uh, same thing for the Clinton Foundation. And every Haitian person I've ever met, and there's a pretty large Haitian population down here, Every Haitian person I've ever met hates both the Salvation Army and hates the Clintons. Like, you, you can't even imagine how much they despise these people. They literally yeah. have nothing. They have the, the dirt on the ground. Well, I mean, in, fr from the way I look at it, the Salvation Army were basically the first um, evangelical-type organization. Uh -huh. Literally, you know, you're either a member of them or you're the enemy. Mm -hmm. The clue's in their title, after well, all. After. I have um, friends in Shingle House mm -hmm. that were taken, they were going on a church mission to okay, Haiti. Okay. Um, I think it was Haiti. It was mm -hmm. Haiti or it was Southern Africa. It, I, I don't, anyway. But his mom is a very very dear friend of mine okay. and i was up to her house one day we were having coffee and she says oh you, by the way she says um you want to watch me quilt so what in the fuck are you quilting for and she said well mike and lisa are going to take um all these quilts with them on their mission and i said huh and she said yeah she said um the church is trying to get 500 quilts for them to be able to take with them. I said, quilts. And she said, yeah. And I said, 
these people live in grass huts, right? With dirt floors. And she said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I said, what the fuck do they need quilts for? It's hotter than the hate to hell there. <laughs> and she said, well, she said, what it is, is they use the quilts for a bed to keep them off the dirt. The dirt They're yeah. not using them for a quilt blanket like we do. Right, um, right. They, yeah, they folded the quilts and used the quilts for beds. And, but I mean, I mean, it just totally blew my mind that they were making quilts for people that lived in an area that the, that the lowest daily temperature was hot, 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 hot. And I'm like, it just made no sense to me. But right, after right. she explained, I'm like, oh, so that's why. I mean, the Red Cross pisses me off. Um, and it, and it really does. I mean, people don't realize you go to the hospital and you actually need a blood transfusion. Look at the fucking bill. Look at the bill. Look at what you just paid for that blood that was given to them. Right. You know, I mean, people go out and they donated all this blood to the Red Cross. And my sister, um, ended up, she got some, award from them for being a 10 gallon donor or some shit and i said right. i can't believe you're still giving blood to the red cross why don't you go to the hospital and donate blood at the hospital right. and she said well you could do that i said fuck yeah you can do that i said if you go and you donate it at the hospital you're way better off i said because if you donate your blood to the red cross the red cross sells it to the hospitals for like 700 dollars a pint yeah. and then the hospital marks it up to give it to you Mm -hmm. it's it's it you're you're actually better off if you think you might need surgery you're actually better off banking your own blood and a lot of people i know have, have done that you know and if you don't need it well you know it can be given to someone who does or or you know will be getting an operation or, or does need it um because Frozen blood only has so long that it's good, but I, you can do that. And that's an option for people who know they're going to be sick or whatever. Here, here's but, a good aside that you'll like. Right, so obviously in the UK, mm -hmm. part of the NHS is the blood transfusion service. So okay. here, it's part of the NHS. So yeah, okay. no money. Right. For buying blood. Mm -hmm. um, but one of his latest things, Mr. David Dorn... He's training to be a blood biker. Uh, basically, one of the little motorcycle couriers that shuttles the blood oh. back and forth between the hospitals. Nice. Nice, yeah. That's very nice. He's being useful in his retirement, not just to vapors. <laughs> hey, Dave Doran's a good guy. He is. He's a very good guy. Um, kudos to him, because without people who care for others, we're screwed. Um... And it's nice that he's found a way you can be useful and not get into trouble. And so, speaking of food without bombs, they threw away food. Yeah. Like days before Christmas. <laughs> oh my God. And not them. That was the government making them throw it away. Yeah. yeah. Houston did PD. They, did they come in with bottles of bleach and pour it all over the food? Because they've done that in other places. Um, I don't... I don't really know that it was that. Um, I do remember seeing photos in uh, 
in the Chronicle of them having garbage trucks. So I think they were just throwing them directly, throwing everything directly in the back of a garbage truck. That's still pathetic. Well, it's pathetic because you see homeless people. I see them constantly. They migrate here because it's warmer. You know what I mean? The winter is not going to kill them here. They'll be cold nights, but they can probably survive them here. Um, we have yeah. a large homeless population here. I mean, winters here are pretty mild. I mean, uh -huh. we just we just got through our our winter. It was like January sixth through the ninth. But <laughs> yeah, that's too. Yeah, yeah. It was actually. It feels pretty brutal when you actually have to turn the heat on just a little bit. Not a lot, but just enough to take the chill out of the air because it's so damn cold. Oh, I hate that smell every year when you first turn on the heater. It starts burning the dust off the coils. Yeah. Oh, yeah. T turning on heaters? What? Eh? Just just a little bit. Well, I don't. Out... Look where I live. I know, but yes, but you're like a polar bear. You're you're uniquely suited to that. Um, but yeah. It, I hate the smell of that too. And we don't really have a bad winter here, but it got cold enough to kill off the red tide. Thank God. The red tide was so bad this year. Everybody I knew was just constantly on allergy medication. And if they weren't, they were going to the doctor. So, and this is the first year I've ever seen this happen. People were coming in with written instructions from their doctor, right? First you buy a neti pot. Okay, but you can't use that until you've gone through all these steps. You had to get regular saline solution and spray that up your nose to try and, and clear anything out. You, you lay it, you spray it in one side of your nostril and you lay there and you turn the other way from where your nostril is blocked. And then, you know, hopefully some, some mucus will come out. Then you had to use like um, an over-the-counter nasal spray like neosinephrine. And then after that, you had to use like rhinocort. That on top of whatever antibiotics they were giving you, because everybody was so bad this year from the red tide. And it was the first time I had ever seen those particular instructions given by doctors. And there were tons of people. Here's, here's, here's a vapors version for you. If you've, your nose is stuffed up, blocked up, Menthol whatever. Menthol e-liquid. Blow yeah, but it's how you do it. Mm -hmm. Inhale into your lungs as normal. Exhale through your nose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it's strong menthol, I wouldn't recommend that. It works with normally <laughs> liquid as well. But yeah. it warms up your nasal passages and loosens mm -hmm. up what's in yeah. your nose. Because, of course, PG and VG are antibacterial. Yep. But none of these people were vapors. They were just normal people yeah. who were getting sick from the red tide. But thankfully, that's gone away. Very pick a story. Before we go off on like red tide and nasal secretions all night, I know nobody wants to hear that. Bye, Miss Jeannie. Thank you for showing up tonight. Good evening, Jeannie. Okay. Um, well, I'll say pick a penny, see a penny, pick, pick it up. See a penny, pick it up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this. <laughs> I actually picked this one because Margot said she was going to come, but she didn't. So, this is this is a person who has a serious problem with the government. Okay, Virginia man delivers three hundred thousand pennies to DMV and spends over a thousand dollars to do it. Lebanon, Virginia. 
After carting the fifth and final wheelbarrow of pennies into the Lebanon Department of Motor Vehicles Wednesday, Nick Safford could feel the burn in his arms. Winded, Safford took a smoke break in the DMV's parking lot. I'm not used to lifting, Safford said. These are heavy. Heavy indeed. The 300,000 pennies the Cedar Bluff Virginia man took to the DMV Wednesday morning to pay sales tax on two new cars weighed in at 1,600 pounds. A mature Holstein cow weighs about 1,500 pounds. See, Stafford had a bone to pick with the DMV. It wasn't about agonizingly long lines or a bad picture on his driver's license. It came down to 10 phone numbers. And Stafford ended up filling, filing three lawsuits and spending at least $1,005 to give the DMV his two cents. Stafford's version of the story goes like this. Back in September, he wanted to know which of his four houses spanning two Virginia counties he should list when licensing his son's new Corvette. He attempted to call the Lebanon DMV, but was routed to a call center in Richmond. He then submitted an FOIA request, a submission under the Freedom of Information Act that citizens, journalists, and others can use to obtain public government information to get a direct number to the Lebanon DMV, which he was provided. Some information is exempted from FOIA documents about trade secrets and national defense, for example. When Stafford called the number he was given, he said employees at the DMV told him the phone line wasn't meant for public use. However, Stafford said after repeated phone calls, the DMV eventually answered his licensing question. Stafford then decided he wanted direct lines to nine other local DMVs. Abington, Clintwood, Gate, City, Jonesville, Marion, Norton, Tazewell, Versant, and Wyatheville. He said the Lebanon DMV employees wouldn't provide the him those numbers, so Stafford went to court to get them. If they were going to inconvenience me, then I was going to inconvenience them, he said. Stafford filed three lawsuits in Russell County General District Court, two against specific employees of the Lebanon DMV and one against the DMV itself. On Tuesday, a judge dismissed the lawsuits at the request of the state when a representative of the state's attorney general handed Stafford a list of the requested phone numbers in the courtroom. The court also did not impose penalties on the DMV and its employees, which could have been between $500 and $2,000 per lawsuit if the employees had willfully and knowingly violated public records laws. The phone numbers are irrelevant to me, Stafford said. I don't need them. I told the judge, I think I proved my point here. I think the backbone to our republic and our democracy is open government and transparency in government. And it shocks me that a lot of people don't know the power of FOIA, Stafford said. Brandy Brubaker, a spokeswoman for the Virginia Department of Motor Vehicles, said the DMV is happy with the outcome. We're pleased that the court agreed with our counsel that the argument was not a sufficient request to invoke the FOIA statutory penalties, Brubaker said. We make every effort to share information with citizens as state and federal law allows. Brubaker said the department fulfills thousands of FOIA requests each year and encourages anyone interested to make requests at FOIA at dmv.virginia.gov. Still, Stafford had one final act planned. After collecting hundreds of rolls of pennies he needed, he hired 11 people to help him break open the paper rolls with hammers Tuesday night. It took four hours, and he paid each person $10 per hour, costing him $440. Stafford also purchased five wheelbarrows to deliver the pennies. The wheelbarrows cost $400, and he wasn't going to dump the coins on the DMV's floor, so he left the wheelbarrows there, bringing his expenses to $840. He also paid $165 for three lawsuits, which meant he spent $1,005 to get 10 phone numbers and the satisfaction of delivering 300,000 pennies, not to mention the nearly $3,000 he paid the DMV for the cars. <laughs> Government protest in action. <laughs> that, that is, is, that is epic. awesome. That's epic. 
it's just sad that the only people who can afford to do that are people who actually have money. And if you can buy your kid a Corvette, you definitely have money. But well, there was a story a while back that Samsung got sued by Apple over some patent and that they delivered like a billion dollars in pennies to the to the headquarters at Apple and just had these 18 wheelers pull in these these flatbeds, PTOs, and just pick it up and just dump it right out of the back of the trucks. Sadly, it's not, sadly it's not that. true. Uh, oh, it's not? No. That's sad. Well, that, that particular court case is the one that uh, got partly reversed last year. And the judges are now trying to decide how much the fine's going to be. But yeah, it originally appeared on a fake news site. People mistook it for a real news story. It then spread all over the internet. It's on Snopes. Yeah. Well, I don't. I've got to say, Snopes is interesting too. Um, there's a lot of places you can you can fact check. It's not hard to fact check. So yeah. A lot of good, you know, a lot of good journalists do it without having to use Snopes. I don't like to use Snopes. Um, I've put I it like in the chat really if hard. anybody's interested. But yeah, because yeah, yeah the be epic, Snopes did mention they're like uh, a nickel weighs this much to deliver a billion dollars. It would take <laughs> so many tons of coins. Well, Hundred and ten thousand tons of coins. Damn. I don't even know if we have that many in circulation. No, they'd have to get them minted. Yeah. Yeah, I doubt it. Well, I remember. I do remember a story a few years ago about a guy that um, he got prosecuted under the what is it, the MPAA, or it's the ARC? It's the anti copyright infringement. Oh, uh, yeah. Where they. Yeah, the, the record companies basically sued him for more money than exists in the world of all countries combined. <laughs> yeah, they like, they like doing that, the record labels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it puts the fear of God into people. God don't, forbid they ever come after me. Don't yeah, download um, stuff. That, that's what they try to do to Kim.com. Uh, well, but since he was in the Far East, he was like... <laughs> Fuck off. Um. Well, you know, here's the thing. Honestly, studies have shown if artists make their music available out there for download, they get more people that go and pay for their music. Yeah, I mean, there's a detailed so, study done in Europe a few yeah. years back where mm -hmm. they found people who used BitTorrent to download music and games, right. something like 80% of them also then went on to buy the yeah. actual thing that downloaded. Yeah, I mean... Because they downloaded it's, it's, to see if they liked it or not, and then they went and bought yeah. the real one. Exactly. I mean, and you don't really have a trial period anymore. Well, I guess no. now with the streaming music services, I guess you kind of do, but you're still paying for it. Um, I don't know. I, I just think there are... Okay. Free can be an economic business model and this sounds fucked up but there is a way to put your stuff out for free and then charge for other components do you know what i mean yeah where you you, you make just your need to look at the free. app stores for android and apple yeah. you download I mean, the app for free and then inside the app there's all yeah. the microtransactions yeah 
I mean, there is a way to make this a successful business model. And I'm, I think more people are moving away from the traditional get a record label, get a record contract and all this stuff because they eat up so much of an artist's money. There well, yeah, are I mean, these... there's, um, uh, I can't remember the details, but there's some artists just won some new musician award from the BBC right. or something. And mm -hmm. it was the first time in history it was a completely insider artist. Yeah. I mean, they and... didn't have a record deal. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the traditional model worked when there were a lot more people buying stuff, but people have less disposable income now. So, artists have to well, sell the more UK, they have to sell more of their merchandise. It was about Go three ahead. years ago in the UK that um, digital downloads outsold actual CD sales. Mm -hmm. You know, it's yeah. years ago now. I mean, well, I mean, CDs are CDs and and albums. Albums are coming back, by the way. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how albums are going to come back because basically all the old style consoles, like the Neve console, those are gone. Yeah. The things where you could actually record, physically go into a studio and record, where it wasn't attached to a computer, where you recorded on tape th those are gone i mean they're just in fact i think dave grohl owns the only neve console in america if you yeah. want to record something on tape which we know sounds warmer um than stuff that's recorded digitally uh you've got to make friends with dave grohl i guess <laughs> no the, the, the technology's still there it's just moved no, the tape, the companies that made the tape have gone out of business. Yeah. And here's what I find. Oh, I mean the big tape, but you can still do the record yeah. things in that style right. using modern digital stuff, it which studio, which studios are doing now. Yeah. Which is why we're having a return to LPs and stuff. <laughs> because, yeah, the, 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 you can now alter digital stuff so much you can basically mm -hmm. add the warmth back in <laughs> yeah but i mean you shouldn't have to i think if you if that's how a man records a record not to sound fucked up but you know what i mean yeah you go in you do it live you do it on tape what happens happens you got to get it right you know you don't see artists that are capable of doing that anymore but the ones that do, um, Queens of the Stone Age used to do it. Nine Inch Nails used to do it, which sounds fucked up, but they used to record on tape. Yeah. Um, Nirvana used to do it. Um, that's almost a dead skill. Everything's done in, in Pro Tools. And well, the, the, and the closest these days is, uh, I don't know if you remember this technology, DAT. D-A-T. Which is still yeah. tapes. They're still around. It's just a shame. What I was going to say, what I find interesting is Eastman Kodak is bringing back regular yes. film because everything done digitally is too crisp. Do you know what I mean? People like getting that sort of grainy, sort of gritty, real look to stuff. Yeah. And stuff that gets put out now gets, you know, photoshopped and digitally enhanced and white and it doesn't need that 
the human eye, or at least the human eye of some photographers, seems to prefer the ability to do that in a sort of grainy way. It's it's kind of neat. I um I kind of think it's cool that it's coming back, and they're actually making the uh, film for the film industry in Richmond, New York. And in the UK, they're making the actual film that goes in cameras. Yes. So that's bringing back some some industry, which well, is well. I mean, the, the 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 film industry film never went away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they used a lot less, but lots oh, yeah. of filmmakers still liked recording on hundred and twenty oh. millimeter giant reels of <laughs> film. So I mean, I just think it's kind of funny how we've gone all the way forward as far as digital can go and people want to walk it back. And I, I think you're going to see that happen with all sorts of things. Yeah, you saw and that I, You saw that article about Kodak, right? Yeah. With the Ektachrome? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of neat. It, it says something about human progress. Like, we, we've taken it forward, but there's a whole group of people who found a, a charm and an aesthetic quality that they liked in the older quality of stuff. And, and as a demand industry is bringing that back, that, that says something for the power of the market. It, it was only a matter of time because retro eventually shows up everything <laughs> humans do. Well, you know, it kind of does. Retro architecture, retro clothes. Hipsters. I don't, yeah. I, hipsters. Oh, retro that gaming. Yeah. People love playing, you know, the released, the Atari console. No, there's a SNES, even. Even yeah, older. Oh, yeah, the, the new... Uh, Atari. Yeah, they, well, they just brought back the Super NES. They brought back the NES original console, yeah. the Sega Genesis console. Like, all of these old games that we all fell in love with, mm-hmm. it's like the adult generation, we look at games, like when my son plays his PlayStation, I look at some of these games, and I'm like, nah, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but you give me Mario Brothers and I can go back and, and, and play. I miss like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I have that on my phone. I love Sonic. Sonic was a lot of fun. Um and you know, Sonic was like the first game I really played. So yeah, I have a I have a warm spot in my heart for that. First video so, like, game I played was Space Invaders. No, I'm not old well, at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Xanax. Not remember, the pill, but the game. I remember Space Invaders. Yeah, I used to play it in my <laughs> local cafe. <laughs> I when I was a little had, kid. I had an Atari system at home. I remember that. But the first game I played when I was decent at it was Sonic. Because it was hard for me to use the joystick and, and be accurate. Although, if you kept your finger on the firing button while you were moving, <laughs> you, you invariably hit something. So I learned that skill. There was, I remember uh, Atari had some of the worst <laughs> games in history too, though. Well, well, they, they had that first, one so. game that all the copies got buried in landfill. I can't remember the name of it now. But it was such a huge uh, failure that just basically buried all the copies. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, Joust was horrible. Um, E.T., that one was horrible. Um... See y'all, I don't remember any of this stuff. I must have spent way nah, see, too my, much time in the real world. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite games on Atari were uh, Donkey Kong and um, 
what was that one where you had to uh, get Indiana Jones across the the quicksand and the the pits of crocodiles? Um, I'm drawing a blank now. You're drawing a blank. You, you guys are saying these things, and I'm like, man, I must have been really engrossed in school or something. There we go. There's the Atari video game burial Wikipedia article. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Loads of unsold right. games just got put in landfill. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna pick a story. It's outside New Mexico. Yeah. Pitfall. That's what it was. You don't remember Pitfall? Yes. No. No. I. I think. I think we were just space invaders and. I don't know. Um, one, do you know what game I owned that I'm, I'm actually kind of ashamed I owned for my uh, Sega? Oh, was it the dolphin one? No, fuck no. It was a game called Crewball. It was all Motley Crue songs where you played <laughs> pinball. I'm not kidding. That was an actual oh, game. Oh, I know the one you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't a bad game. I'm just ashamed. There's lots of rock band tie-ins. Yeah. <laughs> But that was the first one I had ever seen like that. And I was like, I love pinball. I do. I love pinball. Like, I... Because, I... yeah, on the Dreamcast you had... It was a... There was a Kiss game. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a Kiss everything. Yeah. I, I've got to admit, I may not like Kiss, but I admire their marketing strategy. I, I know there are people who've been buried in Kiss coffins. Are you talking about the Psycho Circus game? Yeah. So I, yeah, I, like I, I do vaguely remember that. My God. It was like Doom. It was kind of Doom esque. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So before Rock in Band, case, Rock... in, in case anyone you know hasn't noticed yet, I'm a gamer. Uh... Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Debatable whether I've ever got really good at any game, but yeah. Well, I don't know. You play World of Tanks, a oh, uh, World of Warships. Oh, World of Warships, yeah. Yeah. I'm in the top third of all players playing in the world. As far so, as yeah, my might... ability to win goes. Um... You, you might play a little bit much. Um... No. Not much else to do. In my I only visit. played four games today. What do you mean? Four. That's, I work... you know, at maximum, that would be 20 minutes each. So it's not as if... It's a huge chunk of time. I'm not one of these obsessed gamers that spends 16 hours a day gaming. <laughs> how, how could you? Uh, I don't know any... Well, I guess you could. Um, well, this is what, they've got legislation about it in South Korea and China and Japan. You know, they have... Um, they actually brought in laws limiting the amount of video games people played because it was such a problem. You People know. weren't showing up for work because they spent all night <laughs> playing video games and fell asleep. You know, I, I think there there are some places where the government just shouldn't tread, but I understand why they would feel a need to. Um, but there are people who are competitive video games player, players now. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there is a market to watch people. That's why Twitch is so big. Yes. And some of the broadcasters on Twitch are making quite a nice living. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and it's not just there, because if you don't have Twitch, you can see a lot of the broadcasts on um, YouTube. Yeah. YouTube. So, you know, there's secondary marketing involved, too. Yeah, some of, them so, are making, some of them are making a few thousand a month. 
Yeah, it's just, just crazy. Crazy, crazy. Um, don't know. Okay. So I don't know why he would do this. Um, I'm, I'm picking a story, by the way. So, yeah, so whatever you think of whistleblowers, whatever you think of Chelsea Manning or Julian Assange or, or whatever, I, I just, I, I, I don't under fucking stand this. Although I guess so many years without the sun would make you consider just about anything. Assange agrees to extradition if U.S. releases whistleblower. This is from, yeah, I, I shouldn't say who it's from because I'll probably get dinked for it. Uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange will agree to be extradited to the United States if President Barack Obama grants clemency to the former U.S. soldier Chelsea Manning jailed for leaking documents, the company said on Thursday. The I have no idea who the company is. If Obama grants Manning clemency, Assange will agree to U.S. extradition tradition despite clear unconstitutionality of DOJ case, WikiLeaks wrote on Twitter. Assange has been living in the Ecuadorian embassy in London since June 2012 to avoid extradition to Sweden to face sexual assault allegations. The Australian former computer hacker says he fears Stockholm will in turn extradite him to the U.S., where he angered Washington over WikiLeaks' publication of thousands of U.S. military and diplomatic documents leaked by former U.S. soldier Manning. Manning is currently serving a 35-year sentence in solitary confinement for handing over the 700,000 sensitive documents from the U.S. State Department. Supporters of the transgender soldier are putting their hopes in a pardon by Obama before he leaves office later this month, although the White House said the president will not be granting her clemency. Manning has already made two suicide attempts and currently has an appeal pending before a military court. Washington has maintained the threat of prosecuting Assange over the 2010 leak, though no charges have been filed. WikiLeaks post on Twitter was accompanied by a letter addressed to U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch, in which Assange's lawyer Barry Pollock argues there is no legitimate basis for continuing the investigation into the WikiLeaks founder. I don't... I'm sure there's more behind it than what was reported. I just don't get it. Yeah. Um, this smacks of him trying to do a deal so he goes straight to the US and not to Sweden first Which who are notoriously harsh on uh, the crimes he is accused of there <laughs> I mean I, is he assuming that Trump likes him I don't or know. the Hillary Gate stuff maybe but anybody have an opinion on that eh, maybe but then, you know, somebody had said, uh, I read somewhere that Trump had already said that, you know, whistleblowers like uh, Snowden should be put to death. So. Yeah, I know. I know. And, you know, I think the, the hardest thing about reading through the Snowden stuff, and I did read through it when the Intercept started batch putting it out. The hardest part about reading through it is, is A, understanding what you're reading, and then B, you're looking at the stuff going, Wait, so they've been tapping phone calls since the 60s and listening to them? Um, that's the hard stuff for me. Because all the stuff that everybody said the tinfoil hat crowd was saying was true is, is true. It is. It's just hard seeing that in print and wrapping your head around it. it, it I had a really difficult time with that, knowing that the NSA 
was directly spying on us all in an indirect way. You know what I mean? With, yeah. with the five eyes and, and all that stuff. I had a very hard time with that for a really long time. It still really bothers me. And I think without Snowden, we would not be having the discussion on whether privacy matters or not. And that, that I find that upsetting. But we just passed laws like 20 years ago to protect whistleblowers who were giving up corporations and uh -huh. you know uh, government agencies that were stepping over their bounds. And now we're talking about executing them? Well, it's not just executing them. Obama has prosecuted more whistleblowers than any president before. I mean, that should tell you something about the free and open society that they want to run. They want absolute control, and you have to accept it. I have a real problem with that. Very any thoughts? <laughs> yeah. The, as said, yeah, laws were brought in to protect privacy and whistleblowers and all sorts, and now the current politicians want to get rid of it all. And most of it, it, it doesn't even benefit society. It doesn't even benefit the governments that are trying to yeah. do it. It benefits particular individuals, not even corporations. Well, sometimes it does benefit corporations. Oh, yeah, but the people who... You know, I mean, what we know from the Manning dump, we know yeah. about Blackwater and stuff now. Yeah. We didn't know all that stuff before, but now we do. Well, um, and that's, we kind of knew us. about it, but didn't have black and white proof. paperwork proving it. But we have uh, proof now yeah. of all the allegations against Blackwater. So basically, Manning is in jail for turning in Blackwater. Basically. That's what yeah. all this is about. A and third we're party security. That's exactly it. And that's my problem. When did the government become a protection racket for the corporations and not care for its people? That's where I have a problem. And I guess I'm always going to have a problem because <laughs> I don't see it changing anytime soon. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, another thing I saw was uh, there's a lot of people that are all up in arms because they're scared to death that Obama's going to uh, he's going to grant a blanket pardon to himself and Hillary. And I keep telling people in, in chats they can't do that. First, you have to be charged for something before you can be pardoned. And as no one's going to charge her under his administration, there's nothing that can be done when she does get charged. The only thing that I was sad to see was uh, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Sessions as Attorney General over Trey Gowdy. Um, yeah, well, it's... Everybody who got put into political office got put there for a reason. And did you notice the massive overload that the government went through putting all these people one session after another? Did you see that? Mm -hmm. And then the press conferences? Do you know yeah. what that's called politically? A stack in the deck. No, it's called shock therapy. It's, it's called this is how you get stuff passed by doing so much so quickly that no one can keep up with it. So no one knows what you're actually doing. Even somebody who's plugged in or, or tuned into the news, like all of us essentially are, you can't keep track of what's going on. 
there's not enough media coverage in the world and, and C-SPAN was like melting down. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was just literally one session after another and then a press conference. And, and that went on as there were hearings for all of these political picks. It was just insane. It was insane to watch. And, and this is how things are going to be done now, I think. Just overloading all the information sources you can't tell what's what yeah if you sling enough shit some of it'll stick yeah very yeah. any thoughts about that am i right uh, yeah um I, it's gonna happen regularly it's not gonna happen all the time because even they can't produce enough shit to keep it going all the time <laughs> um but yeah whenever they want to get something through or things through that they find important yeah they'll mm -hmm. just start doing these blanket things i mean oh, it's yeah. been going on for years it's just, it's just yeah the start of this year has been exceptional for it not just yeah. politics uh, all the no. public health people have been bombarding the media with crazy stories as well oh, yeah yeah i mean what was the last one about e-cigs they lead to date rape yeah, oh yeah yeah i want the where the f*** do these people come up with this shit? You think God. I was... You think I... Am I kidding? Very. No, 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 it's true. Yeah. You're at the same stupid Some thing from the Department yeah. of Public Health that I did. And they were saying that um, people were going to be loading up vape pens with GBH and taking them out to clubs so they could date rape people. What? Yeah, I think GHB does a molecular shift at a certain temperature that i don't think it'll allow you to vaporize it yeah i'm not i'm not a chemist but as far as i'm aware it, it can't be yeah used that way well i'm it sure it to be ingested. Be, but... yeah. i think chloroform would probably be the better option i'm gonna shut up now yeah except <laughs> if you put that in a in in a vaporizer it'd go on fire as soon as you hit mm. the button yeah that's true <laughs> highly flammable but they, they just they make up shit and yeah. it's so outrageous that you're spending all this time debunking the stuff instead of trying to stop the legislation. Well, Jan, have you also been watching... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, have you been keeping up with YouTube? Mm, not really. Work's been kicking my ass. So mostly it's been text reading is mostly what I do. Text reading and correcting and trying to find sources for things. Yeah. No. I miss. Um, I I subscribed to um, Transition Team 2017, okay. uh, Trump's official uh, transition channel. Mm -hmm. And hold on, let me go down and just look look real quick, and I'll get right back with you. Okay. So, I mean, I don't. It's not that I discount YouTube. I don't. I think. You find a lot of honest reporting there where you're not going to find it on mainstream media. Yeah. You know. And again, a lot of the mainstream media are now using YouTube as a side channel. So, yeah. And oh my God, has anybody talked about the, the, the Trump dossier? <laughs> oh my God. You know what? The, the golden, sh I'm like, I'm looking at this thing and I'm laughing. I mean, as soon as I opened it, I'm looking at the spelling errors. I'm like, I know where I've seen this before. I like 4chan. I'm in the coward. I'm in the coward. Yeah. 
Oh uh, my god. I love 4chan. I do. I think you get some you get some really interesting people from there. Um and you know, they just they do some fucked up shit. But memes and stuff, that's all 4chan. That's that's B board on 4chan. That's yeah. all them. All of that way that we communicate with each other now essentially mm-hmm. came from there. Um so I opened it up and I'm reading through I'm like, oh god, the, the punctuation is terrible. I'm reading this report that BuzzFeed said is this this dossier about Trump. And I'm laughing. I'm sitting there laughing. I I've seen this sort of punctuation error before. I've seen this sort of spelling error before. And you know, look at how ridiculous this is. It reads like a piece of fucking fan fiction. It is. It's a piece of fucking fan fiction from 4 Channel. Yeah. And my problem is that the Guardian takes this as a piece of holy fucking writ from well, some people. And I'm like, it's I not. Don't know, I don't know if you spotted this or if it was even mentioned in the news over your way. Right. There was an actual report done mm-hmm. by an ex-MI6 guy who now runs a private security firm. Right. But he used to be based in Russia, so he's got lots of connections over there. Now, mm-hmm. he talked, they, they asked him to look into this, mm-hmm. and he did write a report, but he right. emphasised very strongly that he couldn't confirm anything in it. And that's mm-hmm. the official one. What BuzzFeed's touting isn't that guy's report. But <laughs> he's getting the blame for it. He's gone into hiding. Because, yeah, the the last guy who pissed the Russians off, it didn't end well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he's he's disappeared. Um, but, yeah, the, the analysts here are going, well, yeah, I know this guy. I worked with him at MI6. Well, he's a good guy. Even he said in this report that it's not fact. It's rumour. Yeah, blah, well, blah, blah. I mean, and then your media has blown it out of proportion. And because well, they but didn't have the actual report to use, no, as no. you say, they cobbled together something else. Well, no, but here's the thing: what BuzzFeed says they released is what John McCain brought to Congress. Yeah. So John McCain walked into Congress with a piece of 4chan fan fiction and said, "Here, you need to impeach him." Yeah, because apparently there was a meeting. Was it yesterday or today? For the security yeah. services and senators. And mm-hmm. apparently, yeah, they're quite angry about it because obviously they've I probably now been shown the real document, well, <laughs> which I mean, isn't you... as out yeah, there well, as the media are reporting. Isn't uh, as out. Well, I mean, what shocked me is when I get to the page where they're talking about Trump hiring all these prostitutes to piss all over this bed that Obama has slept in in Russia. I'm like, does that even make fucking sense? Why? I could see that. I could see it too, but it doesn't even make sense why it would end up in this report about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If it's an actual, if it's an actual report that's about somebody's comings and goings and what they do, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't read like that. Your cat? Yeah. Cat yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't read that way. Um no part of it has that bad a problem with punctuation and spelling and, and all these other errors. Well, see that, going, as I say, that that's what's ludicrous about the whole situation. Because I say, the guy mm-hmm. who did the real report was a professional intelligence agent. Yeah. 
They His don't report like would that. read like a report. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's what he does just, for a living. But he's getting the just, blame for this piece of shit that's been released. Well, but this this thing, if you go to BuzzFeed and you look it up, because they, at last I checked, had not taken it down, you will, if you've been to Fortune, you will see stuff there that will remind you instantly of Fortune, and you will laugh. Um. So, but John McCain, good God. He's never been the smartest. Uh... And he's never been the smartest, but now it's time for him to retire. Because th- this was stupid. He should know better. Yeah. You know, I mean, I say he should know better, and yet there's pictures of him shaking hands with ISIS leaders. So maybe he shouldn't know better, but he still should be forced into retirement for that shit. But yeah, as I say, the other horrifying thing was the more mainstream media following BuzzFeed. Yeah. How I mean, is BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed. A competent <laughs> journalistic source? BuzzFeed has tests about what kind of pizza would you be, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Back to the transition team thing. Mm-hmm. They When they first started up, it was the day, of, uh, the day before Thanksgiving. And he posted up this little one-minute clip of him, you know, wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving and, a, you know, happy holidays and Merry Christmas and what have you. And it, the channel went silent for like mm-hmm. two months. And then just all of a sudden, like a week ago, they just mm-hmm. start me 20 second video, 35 second video, three minute video, 54, 45, 24, 40. And they're all just these select little sound bites and these tiny little clips mm-hmm. of, you know, different members of, of Congress talking about General Matisse and, you know, Tim Scott praising Dr. Carson and Senator mm-hmm. Kane. And man, they just, I couldn't keep up with it. Just in the manner of one day, it was like 51 videos uploaded. And I'm like, uh, you know what? I got to unsubscribe from this now because I can't keep up with a whole of them. Well, it's like I said, this is what they call shock therapy. This is how they're going to drive stuff through. Um, and and politicians and and the press have been doing this for years. Um, and it's hard to see through it. Okay. Um, who wants to pick another story since we've since we've just I've just said that John McCain needs to be forced out of office <laughs> is there anything anybody's finding particularly alluring in here no but my five year old would like to say hi no hi William how are you hi hi William how are you <laughs> okay okay well, he'll be able to hear himself later on when we put this up. Yeah. Okay. You were just on the radio, kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so CDC? Yeah, you, you can't beat a bit of germs. Yeah. Okay. We all know how I like viruses and stuff, because I was always a weird kid. Okay. CDC keeps, it, keeps secret its mishaps with deadly germs. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which has faced congressional hearings and secret government sanctions over its sloppy lab safety practices, which vary in, I, I think we talked about the place that actually had the door on backwards. Yeah, the door so on the the autoclave the, or whatever. Yeah, it was on the wrong way around. Yeah. Which I've, I've used autoclave, so you, so both of us are like, what? Okay. 
is keeping a keeping secret large spots of information about dozens of recent incidents involving some of the world's most dangerous bacteria and viruses. CDC scientists apparently lost a box of deadly and highly regulated influenza specimens and experienced multiple potential exposures involving viruses and bacteria, according to heavily redacted laboratory incident reports obtained by USA Today. This was really good reporting by USA Today. When they dig into government, or at least the CDC, the FDA and stuff, they do a really good job of this. So I've, I've got to give them props for the people doing this. Okay. Several reports involve failures of safety equipment. In one, a scientist wearing a full body spacesuit gear, spacesuit like gear, to protect against lethal, often untreatable viruses like Ebola, had their purified air hose suddenly disconnect again in one of the world's most advanced biosafety level four labs. So no clean air to breathe. And when those things fog up, you can't see shit. After taking nearly two years to release laboratory incident reports requested by USA Today under the Freedom of Information Act, the CDC blacked out many details, including the types of viruses and bacteria involved in the mishaps, and often the entire descriptions of what happened. In several cases, clues about the seriousness of the incidents is revealed because CDC staff failed to consistently black out the same words repeated throughout a string of emails. The CDC would not answer USA Today's questions about specific incidences, which occurred at the agency's laboratory facilities in Atlanta Fort Collins, and Fort Collins, Colorado during 2013 through early 2015. None of the incidents described in these documents resulted in reported illness among CDC staff or the public, the CDC said in a brief emailed statement. Where incidents involved inventory discrepancies, the agency said generally the problems were addressed without posing a risk to anybody. Oh, I don't know about that. The CDC said incident reports cover a time period before the Atlanta-based agency created a new lab safety office in the wake of three high-profile incidents during 2014 with anthrax, Ebola, and a deadly strain of bird flu. In USA's Today, Biolabs in Your Backyard investigation, this is the one we did last year, revealed hundreds of safety incidents at public and private research facilities nationwide and highlighted how many university, government, and private labs have fought to keep records secret about incidents and regulatory sanctions. Uh, the investigation also exposed that more than 100 labs working with potential bioterror pathogens faced secret federal sanctions for safety violations. Yet regulators allowed them to keep experimenting while failing inspections, sometimes for years. Because, hey, it's just, you know, bioweapons, what do we care? USA Today also revealed details about the operations and safety reports of more than 200 contain high containment labs across the nation, facilities whose identities have eluded even the Government Accountability Office. In an effort to determine the extent of the CDC's lab safety problems, USA Today filed a request on January 6, 2015 under the Freedom of Information Act seeking copies of the lab incidents reports for the previous two years. But, 500, but uh, 503 pages of records the CDC released in many cases look like Swiss cheese when an incident involving any pathogen that is on a federal list of potential bioterror pathogens called select agents. They include pathogens such as those that cause anthrax, Ebola plague, or certain avian or reconstructed flu virus strains. The CDC cites a 20, 2002 bioterrorism law to justify its retractions. Redactions. The law that allows withholding from the public certain records filled with regulate, regulators or information containing specific safeguards and safety measures. However, in many cases, the CDC blacked out information from lab incidents reports that the agency often promotes 
when touting its capabilities and accomplishments on its website or in specific journals, such as the fact as the CDC operates biosafety level for labs, the highest level of security, or that it studies specific organisms like the Ebola virus. The CDC says it stands by its retractions. Redactions. The effort to keep secret details comes despite a 2015 White House memo to federal agencies calling for greater transparency and releasing information about research and incidents involving select pathogens. White House experts noted that withholding information often has negligible security value and that transparency can help improve public trust. The CDC completely withheld 36 pages of lab incidents reports. In other reports, the CDC redacted every other word about what happened. In an August 2014 email with the subject line of lab incident, CDC blacked out the name and title of the writer. The author started the note, when I came in this morning, then the agency has blacked out about 10 lines of text, citing the bioterrorism law. The agency, however, did disclose the writer's final sentence. Please let me know if you have any questions. That's helpful. The CDC also redacted every other word in a lab incident report from December 2013 that apparently involved a dangerous strain of influenza virus. Several CDC staff copied on the email are people who were involved in the agency's controversial work in 2005 using reverse genetics to reconstruct the 1918 flu pandemic virus, which killed as many as 50 million people worldwide. The only types of flu designated as select agents and potentially covered by the bioterrorism law are specimens of the 1918 influenza virus and certain deadly strains of avian flu. The CDC did not answer USA Today's questions about what pathogen was involved or whether anyone was treated for potential exposure. Hang on, I gotta grab a drink here. Uh, some records contain more clues about what went wrong than others. Uh, the air hose connector on my suit came off while I was working in Redacted Again, a CDC scientist wrote in May 2013 in an email to other agency staff. The weather records show have a history of being part of the agency's viral special pathogen branch, which works with deadly viruses like Ebola. The scientist wrote that a colleague helped him get out to safety, reattaching my hose as best as he could. I live to work another day. The CDC sought to conceal that incident that occurred in a bio, self, bio safety level for lab, blacking out a checkbox for the top of the form that corresponds to a BSL for lab on the agency's main Atlantic campus but it failed to redact the same information in some other reports. Form says the incident occurred while the scientist was working with mice infected with the virus, but the CDC blocked out the name of the virus. The CDC sent out a mass email to about 40 lab workers on the same day, reminding them to make sure that their protective suits are in working order and to be sure to pay special attention to your air breathing hose and ensure that connections are tight, the records show. In a February 2015 string of emails that involves employment records show that multiple members of the CDC's influenza division the agency cited the bioterrorism law and blacking out the entire subject line. In one email, the first word in the sh short subject line remained. It says missing and is followed by a short redaction that is likely the name of the pathogen. The emails discuss whether a report will need to be filed with federal select agent lab regulators and says, I will need a detailed summary of the search for this box from everyone involved in the search. The only types of influenza viruses that would require reporting to select agent regulators are the deadly strains of avian flu and the resurrected 1918 flu virus. The CDC wouldn't answer any of the questions, so there's a shock. The missing box may not be the only influenza specimens the CDC couldn't account for. In another email string from January 2015, the subject line says, report additional inventory discrepancies, flu division. However, in one of the emails, the CDC blacked out the words inventory discrepancies by citing the bioterrorism law. There was a possible biological exposure 
at a CBC lab in Fort Collins, Colorado in May 2013, according to a printout from the agency's mega date tracking system. However, the CDC blacked out all the words contained in the long description, what happened in five Y analysis fields, citing the bioterrorism law. According to limited information released on the form, the primary source of injury was insect arachnids, spiders, ticks, scorpions, etc., and the secondary source was select agent. The field finding says only the only retraining that might be necessary is to remind staff to transport tubes vertically. The CDC wouldn't answer questions about what happened in the incident or what pathogen was involved. That just sounds fucking creepy. In August 2014, a CDC lab worker suffered a potential finger puncture from a glass capillary containing a type of select agent pathogen that has been blacked out by the CDC. I did not find a hole in my glove. I immediately washed my hands, the printout from an electronic recording system says. Full description of what happened in the incident was not viewable in the electronic form when the CDC printed the page released. Elsewhere on the form, however, limited information provides intriguing clues. One part of the form discloses to evaluate if vial contained vaccina, to evaluate the condition of vaccina, to understand how stable, and the rest is redacted, citing the bioterrorism law. The phase indicates the phrase indicates the scientist was evaluating the stability of a pathogen specimen over time. Vaccina is a type of virus used in vaccines that protects against the smallpox virus, which killed three out of every 10 people it infected before being eradicated. While vaccina is not a select agent, the smallpox virus is. In July 2014, a few weeks before this lab incident, the long-forgotten virals, vials of vaccina and smallpox viruses dating back to 1946 to 1964 were discovered in cold storage room at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland and some of the vials were sent to the CDC for evaluation. The CDC would not answer the questions about whether the specimens in the lab came from the discovery of forgotten vials at the NIH in July 2014, or whether the redacted pathogen came. That name was of the smallpox virus. In addition to being a lab operator, the CDC co-runs the Federal Select Agent Program and inspects and regulates government, university, military, and private labs and works with these regulated viruses and bacteria and toxins. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is the CDC's partner in the regulatory program. After winning a Freedom of Information Act appeal last year, USA Today revealed that the CDC is among a small group of biolab operators nationwide that have the worst regulatory histories in the country, receiving repeated sanctions under secretive federal regulations. The CDC had previously cited the 2002 bioterrorism law to keep secret the names of government public and private labs, including its own, that have been suspended or faced enforcement actions for violating safety and security regulations in their work with potential bioterror pathogens. In a CDC recent document release, when the incidents involve pathogens not on the select agents list, more details were sometimes available. In April 2014, a mangled box filled with biological samples, at least one of them broken, arrived without any labels that it contained infectious materials by regular United States Parcel Service delivery to the desk of a CDC worker rather than to a laboratory, according to a 40-page email string about the incident. The box from North Carolina State Laboratory of Public Health had been shipped in a reused box without appropriate packing materials and arrived with a gaping hole in one corner, according to CDC emails. Inside the box were specimens of bacteria that could potentially, that contained potentially life-threatening typhoid fever. I've learned that there are indeed some tubes of salmonella typhi in this box, but not sure if any are broken. Don't really want us to get our hands in the box. We already know 
is contaminated and has broken glass to find out, wrote Jean Winchard, the team leader of the CDC's National Antimicrobial Resistance Surveillance Team, in an email to other CDC staff investigating the risks posed by the shipment. In the end, the CDC determined that only one vial was broke and it contained Salmonella Newport bacteria, which has been associated with foodborne illness outbreaks. At least two CDC workers who handled the package underwent occupational health evaluations. In a later email, Richard wrote, Luckily, no tubes flew out of the breach in the box during shipment, and I just gingerly lifted each tube out with forceps to, con to confirm that none of the Typhi tubes broke. Officials at North Carolina Lab said they were unable to provide comment because of the recent holidays. See, this is how you get the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Because you get these strains of these weird viruses that they're apparently just playing around with up in Fort Collins, and you've got all these pot farms out there, you get these diseases mixed up in this pot, and then all these people around smoking pot wreck. Yeah, no, it's zombie apocalypse, I'm telling you. I don't know if it's that, but I don't think that reading some of these emails that I want any of these people messing around with stuff that's going to be a bioterror incident. Well, I don't think I want to mess around in a kitchen with glass. <laughs> the the thing, it's not mentioned in this particular story, right. but other stories that have uh, mentioned the the CDC recently. Right. Apparently, yeah, it was mentioned briefly, sort of, in this story. Right. Apparently, they won't even answer. I mean, they wouldn't answer USA Today, obviously, uh -uh. journalists. But they, right. won't an, they won't answer any questions from the Government Accountability Office either. Apparently, they, they brought either. them in, asked them a load of questions, and the CDC just went, no. Yeah, exactly. Which, These are, I, I thought ahead. that was illegal. They had to answer the questions, because there weren't public yeah. meetings. No. You know, public can't Apparently. get hold of the records of these meetings, but still they're allowed to not answer the questions. Isn't that, isn't that hmm. nice? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're allowed not to incriminate ourselves. I guess they're taking that to the next level there. But well, the no, it's not is... even incriminating themselves. They won't even talk about the subject. <laughs> <laughs> it's disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. Can Can you imagine how those congressional hearings went? You got Trey Gowdy. You got Trey Gowdy up here going, "Can you tell me at any point in time if these tubes broke?" And the guy looks at him and just goes, mm -mm, no. <laughs> what do you no, mean? I'm not going to no. answer that question. Well, bef no. before we came on air, I mentioned it to Jeannie, <laughs> the thing that's been, uh, to John, the, th the other thing with congressional and Senate meetings was mm -hmm. Comey, who apparently <laughs> won't answer any questions to senators, yeah. congressmen. The CIA, yep. the NSA, the Department of Justice. He just yeah. sat there going, nope. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought you could get in trouble for that, but apparently you can just, I'm with the government. I do what I want. I mean, yeah. so the government has basically become Cartman from South Park. Yeah. And, and the other offices of government are toothless to do anything to them. I think maybe it's gotten a little too big. To handle? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think perhaps we have a problem. Uh, it uh, might be bigger than we thought. I said I would do this one. So I'm going to do this one. 
It's official. 16 government agencies now have access to unminimized domestic NSA collections from the Security Through Advanced Situational Intelligence Department. The NSA can now be used for secondhand domestic surveillance thanks to new rules approved by President Obama. Okay, let's let's all say it. Thanks, Obama. Uh, that went into effect on January 3rd. Those unhappy to see Trump in control of these expanded powers have no one to thank but their outgoing president for this parting gift. This was the first reported early last year, gathered from anonymous intelligent community sources and now useless DCLOB reports on the FBI's use of unimmunized intelligence passed on to it by the NSA. At that point, it was mostly speculation with the PCLOB's report being the only thing in the way of factual information. The administration was confirmed to be working towards loosening restrictions on data sharing, even as the FBI was swearing it was tightening up control over its own use of unminimized data. As the New York Times reports, this change in rules on data sharing is now in place as confirmed by a declassified copy of the new procedures PDF released to the paper. The new rules significantly relax long-standing limits on what the NSA may do with the information gathered by its most powerful surveillance operations, which are largely unregulated by American wiretapping laws. These include collecting satellite transmissions, phone calls, and emails that cross network switches abroad, and messages between people that cross domestic network switches. The perceived benefit of this relaxation of rules is this. Government agencies will no longer have to worry about being siloed off possibly relevant info by restrictions on unminimized collections. The downside is, well, everything else. Previously, the NSA filtered information before sharing intercepted communications with another agency, like the CIA or the intelligence branches of the FBI and the Drug Enforcement Administration. The NSA's analysis posted on information they deemed pertinent, screening out the identities of innocent people and irrelevant personal information. Now other intelligence agencies will be able to search directly through raw repositories of communications intercepted by the NSA and then apply such rules for minimizing privacy intrusions. There are 16 <laughs> government agencies being made equal partners in the NSA's full take surveillance programs. That's, you heard me right. 16. That is quite a lot of partners. Uh, rather than place the agency that hoovers up the signals intelligence in charge of ensuring the privacy of U.S. citizens is protected, the administration is letting multiple agencies with different agendas and role sets have access to the data first, with any minimization being left up to each agency's individual policies. The NSA still retains the option to deny an agency's request to an unminimized feed of incoming collections, but its likely denials will be few and far between. What with the wars on terror slash drugs still ongoing and showing no signs of wrapping up anytime soon, anything deemed to be tangentially, yeah, uh, that's pronounced wrong, related to national security will likely receive the NSA's blessing because doing otherwise would be incredibly hypocritical, hypocritical. The national security mantra has been deployed to excuse its worst excesses. Far be it from the NSA to deny the national security needs of other agencies similarly situated. This was pretty much confirmed by ODNI's counsel Bob Litz's attempt to refuse defuse the situation when it first came to light last spring. 
his painful editorial at Just Security said this was all no big deal. After all, the new rules didn't provide for more domestic surveillance than the government was already performing. It just allowed more agencies to look at what was already being collected and do with it what they wanted to. Shrug. As for the FBI, which has been a longtime partner in the NSA surveillance hall, its new internal rules are no longer relevant, seeing as the administration has given its blessing to go ahead and use supposedly foreign-facing intelligence programs for domestic law enforcement activity. While the FBI was supposed to restrict its use of the data hall for counterterrorist investigations, the FBI was able to turn over anything it found related to normal criminal activity to the DOJ. So even prior to the official relaxation, the FBI was acting as a conduit between the NSA and other law enforcement agencies. All of this now means that the NSA is now officially a domestic surveillance agency, even if a majority of its exploration of Americans' data slash communications is being done by proxy. Yay! I think I've said it yeah. before, but the the only the only good thing about the bulk collection stuff people today put so much shit on the internet Facebook, mm -hmm. Twitter, etc. Oh, yeah. All the social media crap. I just had a coffee. <laughs> they're having to wade through all of that when they're looking for shit that's important. Well, I mean which when is why, of course, they keep missing stuff. Um, sure. But yes, it's not just that. When you look at what they built out in Utah, it contained the ability to hoover up 100 yottabytes of data. That's more information than has been written on the planet so far in our history. Oh, and I think, I've, I think I've mentioned it before, but the cloud-based system the FBI has is at least comparable, possibly can do even more. Because they weren't stupid enough to stick it all in one big building. Can you imagine the metallic resources, the semi-precious metals? Because drives go bad mm -hmm. after a certain amount of time. And whether it's cloud or not, just because it says cloud doesn't mean it's not on a hard drive somewhere. Everything's got to be physically stored. I don't care if it says it's virtual or not. Mm -hmm. And with all of those different drives as they go bad and they're replacing, and you know their penchant for keeping things secret, mm -hmm. um, how are we going to recover all these metals? They normally get sent to Africa where... Poor people hit them with hammers and break them down, <laughs> and they get sent off and that's, melted. That's that's that's, that's not that's a joke. Like, that's, that's what happens. Well, wow. I mean, and if it doesn't go to Africa, it goes to China, where really poor people break into it and pull the metal out. So, yeah. basically, we export our e-waste to other countries, and yeah, because China, yeah, because China doesn't have a computer around somewhere. <laughs> That's okay, because most of the stuff being used was bought from China in the first place, so it's fine. Yeah, it's, that's true. Well, I mean... Well, that, that's it. I mean, you're saying about data storage. Well, shitloads of it's made in China, and most of the minerals to build it is coming from Australia. So Australia and China are loving all this. Yeah, they think it's just great. I mean, information is the new currency. That's the scary part. Well, it kind of has been since World War II-ish. Right, but never on this level, I don't think. No. I'd say Where... the only saving grace is the amount of crap people put online that 
Look at Just my dinner. Look at it. Look <laughs> at it. Hey, let's go kidnap a handicapped kid and torture him for 45 minutes and put it up on Facebook. I, you know, I, I don't understand how they had that kid for a day and nobody <laughs> noticed. No, they had him for a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't understand, you know, I just don't, um, you know, and, and this is the kind of thing that the government is going to say, well, this is why we passed that law that says it's okay to tattoo mm-hmm. or microchip people who are mentally vulnerable. Which they did. They passed it. Yeah. But it's up to... Did we talk about this before? It's the. It's not up to the Department of Health and Human Services to decide who is mentally deficient and needs to be kept track of. Yeah. Who has Alzheimer's and who has autism and what have you. It's up to the Department of Justice to decide who's going to be microchipped or who's, who's going, going to, to be, be low chucked. Yeah. Yeah. So why does the Department of Justice have a say in what happens to our mentally handicapped people? This has always been my question about this thing. Because didn't they set that up wrong if it's really all about our health and welfare? Yeah, but you see the Department of Justice has final say. We kind of mentioned it earlier. Over the paper, you. Because, yeah, if people aren't aware, there's actually two of you. Every person yeah. listening, there's two of you. Yeah. There's the physical you, and then there's mm-hmm. the imaginary paper you. Yeah, which, the straw man. Because, yeah, there have been court cases in certain at certain times and places around the world where people yeah. have got off on some quite serious crimes by claiming it wasn't me that done it, it was the imaginary yeah. me. Yeah. And the way it's well, all I set mean... up, in particular instances, yeah, they've got off with crimes. Um, well, I mean, the, the free men on the land, they are they are some interesting people. I've said it before, if you want to see some interesting legal dancing around, the people who are what they call free men on the land do a lot of it, and a lot of them have gotten away with a lot of really serious shit by doing it. Yeah, well, these sovereign, sovereign citizens. The yes. funniest one is from Glasgow, funnily enough. A couple of guys who got pulled over by the police in a van. And the okay. banter between the two guys in the van and the policeman try to get a look at the guy's ID. <laughs> Why have you pulled me over? Well, I don't have to answer that question. Yes, you do. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. It's about a 10-minute video or something. It's hilarious. It's, it's actually just really... It, it's an interesting argument, but I still don't understand. So Health and Human Services has jurisdiction over the real person yeah the body basically the department the software. of justice sorry the wetware okay. the yeah. wetware yeah so, <laughs> but the department of health and human okay that has jurisdiction over the body while the doj has jurisdiction over the fictional entity on your driver's license and your birth certificate basically yeah is, is that where we're going with this that doesn't make any sense. So That's how the world is, though. decide what happens to you based on what's written on that fictional piece of paper. Yeah. Most countries, of course, don't go to that extreme, but yours seems to have chosen to go that way. Well, we went with... We don't have a good... We've got, like, that maritime law, which is just weird, <laughs> um, that, that covers a lot of this stuff, which is just fucking strange. Yeah. That's our fault, sorry. Loads of the maritime laws were come up by the, by, by the UK and they are bloody weird. 
they, they are strange. Part of it's being argued in Scotland at the moment over the amount sailors are getting paid on these ships. and Right. Of course, since the ships are mostly in international waters, the British regulations don't cover it. <laughs> so the companies can basically pay these people whatever they like. <laughs> it's just, it's screwy. But, I yeah. mean, the way the court proceedings are in this country, and we don't have a good division of laws. We have a good division of laws there. We don't hear all of it's kind of like lumped together in one big clay-like mass and thrown at the wall. Whereas where you are, you actually have that sort of separation between different types of law. Yeah, um, I mean it still law, breaks down sometimes, but maritime law. Yeah, we've got you it. Know, we don't have that. Yeah, but yeah, again, it's just down to we've been doing it longer, so yeah, we <laughs> learned some shit over the years. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you, our, our, your, you, you did take up some of it, and then went went your own way with other bits. So you've got more of a mishmash. Um, yeah, it's because the people who set up your country didn't want basically to copy our laws completely, although they did for a huge bulk of it. Yeah. Um. Mm -hmm. So they wrote these other things, which don't mesh with the other bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it. I think one of the more interesting things is we see now in my country the disappearance of habeas corpus in a lot of ways. That's not cool. That that really was one of the most important. Oh yeah, I mean, in, in the UK, if you tried to mess with habeas corpus, yeah, no government would be stupid enough to go there, really. But they do it here. Yeah. They do it here, and they do it here consistently. They've they've crazy. they've tried to over here, but even most politicians are like, nope, you're not doing that. <laughs> There's a reason for that. There's a reason for all of it. But yeah, it's screwy. Um. Well, could you imagine uh, the movie A Few Good Men in today's society? I want the truth. Nah. No. I don't think it would have been as entertaining. You're not going to get it. I, I cannot that, answer that question because of national security. What? Yeah. <laughs> I've got to tell you, I, I, think, I think you grossly overestimate what a lot of the new people coming into our military are like because there's a reason we've gone with airstrikes and stuff. And a lot of that has to do with the Xbox. Well, the Xbox, but a lot of it has to do with the mental capabilities of the people that are going into the military. They don't have the mental capacity to go out with a gun and do what our grandparents did, or yeah. our parents did, or what we ourselves might have done. Incidentally, yeah, mentioning that, any parents out there who are upset because their kids spend loads of time playing on their Xbox, if they happen to be good at car racing or flight games, don't worry, just force them to go into the army, they can be a, they can be a drone pilot, because American drones and the British drones use an Xbox controller. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and that's not a joke. They've done it deliberately because people are used to the controllers. So yeah. Yeah. I I used to work with a kid named Drew when I worked at Taco Bell, and he he was a consummate gamer. Played Halo and Call of Duty, and 
Right. His mom used to tell him all the time, "What? Why are you playing all these video games? That's never going to help you." And till he went to, you know, he enlisted in the army and came back three months later with an Eagle Eye Award. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Well, it's, it's no, weird. it's not, but it's no, it, not in that way. But it's yeah. odd. It's unusual. Okay, so here's another good one. Obama's administration sold more weapons than any other since World War II. It's from Vice Motherboard. President Barack Obama, who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2009, which, hey, doesn't every Nobel Peace Prize winner bomb nine countries in a year? We'll leave office in a few weeks with a dubious honor of having sold more weapons than any other American president since World War II. And experts say President-elect Donald Trump will most likely sell even more. Most of the arms dealings totaling over $200 billion in the period from 2008 to 2015 have ended up in the Middle East, according to a Congressional Research Service report published in December. The report, produced by the nonpartisan government agency attached to the Library of Congress, breaks down the weapons sold, which include surface-to-air missiles, tanks, and supersonic combat aircraft. Focusing on the arms deals to developing nations, the extensive report found that Saudi Arabia was the top arms importer with deals worth about $94 billion from 2008 to 2015. Under Obama, the overall sales pending delivery of equipment and specialized training for troops to Saudi Arabia alone has ballooned to $115 billion. Saudi Arabia is spearheading a coalition of Arab nations in a bombing campaign closing, on, closing in on two years against the insurgent Athuli militias in Yemen, who took over the capital, Sana'a, in September 2014. The United States has sent special operations forces to assist the Arab coalition in a grinding war that has seen over 100,000 killed, 2.2 million displaced, and nearly half a million children on the brink of famine from the insuring crisis. Earlier this month, the United States decided to halt future sales of precision-guided munitions, which are supposed to hit specific targets and minimize collateral damage to the Gulf Kingdom, citing civilian deaths in Yemen. But experts are good night, Jeremy. But experts are skeptical. Good night. Up, good night. Will deter Saudi Arabia from continuing to fuel its regional proxy wars? Frankly, it was a really minor and temporary punishment. I don't view it as a major consequence, and it is more symbolic than anything. Says Cole Brockenfield. Deputy Director of Policy at Project on the Middle East Democracy. He pointed to the U.S. partially suspending military aid to Egypt after the military overthrew the unpopular government in July 2013 as another example of the lack of political will of the Obama administration to rock relations with its allies. The Congressional Report, Conventional Arms Transfers to Developing Nations 28 to 2015, noted that Egypt was the biggest recipient of arms deliveries last year worth $5.3 billion. Although the highly lucrative global market dipped to around $80 billion in 2015 compared to $89 billion in 2014, the U.S. still ranked first in weapons sales with $40 billion in ink deals. What's changed during the Obama administration is that increasing arms sales has become a standardized component of diplomacy at all levels of government, not just in the Defense Department, Brockerfield told Motherboard. For U.S. diplomats to become the salesmen, that has been a new element which really increases export. Russia remains the United States' closest competitor with around 20% share of the market. And its most important client is India, which was the second largest arms importer beside 
behind Saudi Arabia, 34 billion over a period of seven years, as well as Latin American countries such as Venezuela. Under Putin, Russia has ramped up its military foothold in the Middle East by supporting Bashar al-Assad, its Assim uh, regime in Syria, <sighs> driving Qatar and Saudi-backed rebels out of Aleppo earlier this month with multiple civilian casualties, which you'd need to see some of that. It has been accused of using incendiary weapons such as Tosa-1 and Betab-50 that burn their victims and have flattened whole areas of eastern Aleppo. As the proxy wars between Saudi Arabia and Iran involve Syria and Yemen continue to, yeah, um, to devastate the region, there is hardly any sign of demilitarization. Qatar alone signed deals for more than $17 billion last year and has vowed to continue supporting the battered rebels, even if President-elect Donald Trump pulls back military support for them. Trump recently lambasted defense firm Lockheed Martin for their $400 million F-35 fighter jet program with the Pentagon as out-of-control spending on Twitter, but Brockenfield sees no major change in policy from the outgoing Obama administration. I do expect U.S. arms imports to increase under Trump, he said. I don't see use of arms sales as leverage as very likely in the next administration. Which, the reason I picked that particular story was just because they were saying, you know, our diplomats are now selling arms to these yeah. people. Well, they, they have been for decades. It's just not been so blatant. Well, it's not something we've talked about. Yeah. And it, it's really disgusting that our diplomats are carrying water for the corporations. That's despicable. It's not supposed to be the job of government. And, 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 and I think they could be wrong about the new administration. You know, now when the Saudis come to buy weapons it'll be like buy 10 spartans get a free round of golf at trump international <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just it, it's weird it's just strange like I, you don't expect things to change i definitely don't expect things to change i kind of no. expect things to sort of stay the same well i mean since Trump seems to be spending most of his time arguing with the media, uh, <laughs> and unless that changes, yeah, he, uh, he's not actually going to be doing that much. It'll be the bunch of people that he's thinking of putting into his cabinet, <laughs> <laughs> who he seems to disagree with completely on most things, according yeah. to the interviews that that were mentioned earlier, the congressional mm -hmm. interviews. I mean, the guy he wants to put in charge of the CIA agrees with the CIA on the Russian stuff. Um, and, you know, other departments, the same happened during the interviews. They brought up questions to do with what Trump said about something, and these people completely contradicted it. It's like... No, it's just... I don't expect things to change. No. I do think that the level of government in this country needs to go way down. That's all I gotta say. Well, I you can't. know, it it should be a shoe-in for you because the Republicans control all levels of your government now. Uh, huh. So they, they believe in cutting government, so surely now they're in charge of everything. They can just cut it all away and, oh no, hang on. That isn't going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Let me put it to you this that, way. That, that would cost them jobs and money yeah. and Exactly. I mean, and here's the thing, not to slam Ronald Reagan, who 
actually, in a lot of ways, didn't do a terrible job with the government he was provided by the previous administration. But he talked all the time about shrinking the size of government. And it ballooned up under him like you can't even imagine. So yep. I don't know that the amount of government is going to shrink based on whether you have a Democrat or a Republican. Nope. You know, um, and... It all depends on who's getting paid by who. Yep. But it's always been that way. I mean, I feel weird and I feel bad saying this stuff. Because I feel like I'm... I don't know. Yeah, in some ways we kind of, <laughs> in some ways we kind of miss the old days, you know, back eighties and earlier. As you say, when we didn't know all the shit that the government was getting up to, because they actually back then knew how to keep secrets, sort of. Well, so at least we know. didn't know it was happening. Now, <laughs> yeah, they're just blatant and open well, I mean, about all that shit. Well, I mean, and I've talked about it before, there used to be this level of corruption that you knew there was, yeah. but they tried to hide it. And now I, I don't see that it's hidden anywhere. You know, and people get caught doing stuff and they sort of show up at work with the so what attitude. And I'm talking about congressmen, presidents, everybody. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, and, well, you know, before... You know, not to throw something stupid at this, but even Hugh Grant, when he got caught doing something stupid, did the National Apology Tour. Yeah. You know. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I yeah. mean, these people are fucking actors. Learn yeah. something from them. Well, Jesus. Um, I really want to do this one. I really don't want to do this one. Do you see what I've highlighted? Yeah. Uh -huh. Nope. Okay. I'm going to put a number next to oh, it. Oh, right. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. I really want to do this one. I really don't yeah. want to do this one. I want to do this one because it's important. I don't want to do this one because it makes me sound crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, what the hell? Everybody already thinks I'm nuts anyway. Fort Lauderdale shooting FBI involvement in another act of violence. Two months before Epstein Santiago opened fire with a semi-automatic pistol at Fort Lauderdale's airport Friday, killing five and injuring six, he underwent an assessment by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The procedure, which can involve intrusive investigations and interrogation, ended with the Bureau finding that Santiago had committed no crimes and had no ties to terrorism. A growing number of these incidents exhibit the same disturbing feature. The FBI and or other federal agencies had prior knowledge of the perpetrators. And there's another common thread. The FBI's ex post facto examinations of those interactions do not make a lot of sense. What is never raised is the possibility that the government's actions are actually pushing already unstable people over the edge. The phenomenon has become so common that even mainstream outlets like Fox News have taken to calling people like Santiago known wolves. However, the problem is usually framed as one of law enforcement agencies hamstrung by politically correct culture and outdated civil liberties limits placed upon investigations. Issues of who or what should not be given access to guns inevitably tops the discussion. Despite all the focus on known wolves like Santiago, one line of questioning is seldom pursued. What exactly took place during their interactions with government investigators, and how likely is it that these government actions made violence more probable in the future. 
Soon after the shooting, the FBI told reporters that two months earlier, Santiago had walked into the Anchorage FBI office and made disturbing remarks about hearing voices and being told to watch ISIS videos. He seemed agitated and incoherent while maintaining that his mind was being controlled by a U.S. intelligence agency. They confiscated his gun, which was registered to him. The FBI, after deciding he had broken no laws and had no terrorism ties, turned over turned him over to the local police who had him hospitalized briefly. Anchorage Police Chief Chris Tully said Santiago was having terroristic thoughts and believed he was being influenced by ISIS. Nevertheless, after undergoing some sort of psychiatric evaluation, he was not adjusted mentally ill and they returned his 9mm Walton. Federal law enforcement sources told NBC News they believe it was the same gun he allegedly used in the airport shootings. After the FBI's assessment was complete, Santiago flew from Anchorage last week, ultimately ending his trip at the Fort Lauderdale, Florida airport. Mind control. This is where I sound like a nub. Well, the very mention of mind control being conducted by a U.S. intelligence agency conjures images of wild-eyed paranoia and is thus discounted out of hand. There is a long and sordid history of efforts by national security agencies to manipulate individuals for various reasons. Psychological manipulation may be a more apt term. Indeed, there appears to be a pattern emerging. More and more disturbed individuals who commit mass atrocities had many prior interactions with national security agents. Ted Kaczynski, infamously known as the Unabomber, was the victim of a CIA-funded MKUltra psychological experiment when he was an undergraduate at Harvard University. Part of the experiment involved abusive and humiliating interrogations. Understandably, many familiar with the case have wondered whether this abuse led him to later commit acts of anonymous terror. Similarly, is it possible that Santiago's interactions with the FBI or some other federal agency pushed him to the tipping point? The record shows that various federal agencies have taken an investigative interest in Santiago over the last few years. He was investigated by Homeland Security Investigations for child pornography in either 2011 or 12, law enforcement sources told CBS affiliate in Miami. Three weapons and a computer were seized, but there was not enough evidence to prosecute. A U.S. military official also told NBC Nightly News that Santiago, a veteran who served during Iraq, was being tracked by Army Criminal Investigation Command because of psychological issues. The FBI, for its part, claims to have conducted an assessment of him after its interaction with Santiago in Anchorage in November. We don't know, and will likely never know, what those investigations look like. The agencies involved almost never divulge sources and methods. We do know that as a result of his interaction with the FBI, Santiago was sent to an as-yet-unnamed mental health facility where he underwent some kind of psychological treatment. Since he was an Army veteran, it's likely the Veterans Administration was involved. An assessment, usually cited by the FBI as the least intrusive level of investigation done by the Bureau, can nonetheless be very intrusive. According to an ACLU fact sheet, FBI assessments can include collecting information from online sources, including commercial databases, recruiting and tasking informants to gather information about you, using FBI agents to surreptitiously gather information from you or your friends or your neighbors without revealing their true identity or true purpose for asking questions, having FBI agents follow you day and night for as long as they want. The FBI can also conduct an assessment on an individual just to see if he or she would make a good informant, regardless of whether that person is suspected of a crime. 
could these government intrusions push an already unstable person further into paranoia or delusion? Contentious investigators would surely take care to not set off paranoid individuals who have been targeted for investigation, but it's not hard to imagine careless or unscrupulous investigators pushing too hard, particularly if the investigation involved anything touching on national security. Assessing what exactly? It's worth noting that the FBI had also conducted an assessment of Samirin Saranov, the mastermind behind the Boston Marathon bombing, who died in a gunfight with police. Attorneys for his younger brother, Dakor, who was convicted and sentenced to death in 2015, wrote in court documents that Terran interactions with the Bureau were among the participating, precipitating events for Terran's actions during the week of April 15, 2013. Family members and other sources told Docker's defense team that the FBI tried to pressure Tamarin into becoming an informant. Dokar's lawyer suggested that Tamarin's interactions with the Bureau could have increased his paranoia and distrust. We also know that an undercover FBI agent goaded Elton Simpson to tear up Texas shortly before he and his roommate Nadir Suti shot up a Draw Muhammad contest in Garland, Texas on May 3, 2015. Hours before the event, the FBI sent a bulletin to local police warning that Simpson was interested in the event. Even more troubling, there was an undercover FBI agent at the event communicating about security measures with a third individual whom agents knew had been in contact with one of the shooters. All of this information was only made public because some of the agent's text messages were quoted in court documents. Aaron Kandarmi, lecturer on terrorism studies at New York University, told The Intercept about the incident. The FBI uses informants and undercover agents to pressure suspected ISIS sympathizers into committing acts of violence so they can be prosecuted. The Garland shooter case is the most striking illustration yet of the dangers of this approach. Essentially, it suggests the government may be manufacturing the very threat it's supposed to be countering. The list goes on and on. Omar Martin, the Pulse nightclub shooter, Amar Kamai Ramiri, the NYU bomber, Umar Rahim shot dead after he went to police with a knife in Boston. Amin Majah Nadi Hassan, the Fort Hood shooter. Wasil Farouk, who, who attacked two random people with a knife in Virginia, all had interactions with the Bureau before seemingly going berserk. The FBI failed here. The federal government already knew about Santiago's claim that the CIA was making him watch ISIS videos for months. They had been evaluating him for a while, but they didn't do anything. The accused shooter's brother... Brian Santiago told the Associated Press. In what has become an almost boilerplate description of these assessments, the FBI reporters told the FBI reporters that the F the FBI told reporters that the FBI investigated Santiago, conducted integratory checks, and did database reviews. During our initial investigation, we found no ties to terrorism, Special Agent Martin Ritzman told reporters. He broke no laws when he came to our Anchorage office making disjointed comments about mind control. But as we've seen time and time again, the FBI's statements about interactions with the soon-to-be-violent perpetrator are disjointed. Note the specific reference to terrorism in an FBI statement. The implication is that Santiago could not have been investigated further because no direct link to terrorism was found, but he told them he had been watching ISIS videos, so there was a link. In fact, the FBI routinely goes after people for similar activity. Since 9-11, the Bureau has been repeatedly accused of creating elaborate, time-consuming strings stings to trap people who the agency believes might create or commit acts of violence in the future on no more evidence than social media rants and the like. 
another curious discrepancy in the FBI report. The agency claims that Santiago said in November he didn't want to hurt anyone. But since he had recently been arrested for domestic violence, there was reason to suspect he was capable of such acts. Even mind control is too strong a term to describe what these individuals experienced at the hands of government investigators. But whatever was going on in the shadows, it's not ending well for the rest of them. Yeah, there's not a lot you can add to that, apart from, mm. yeah, flashbacks to many movies, you know, like, say, Universal Soldier. And... Yeah, <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't understand, I, I don't understand how the history's out there, you can see the history, you know that they've gone and talked to these people. You know these people have been under surveillance. Yeah. You know that some of them have gone to the authorities for help and just been released back into the wild. Most people who are well don't go to the authorities and go, I need help. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's nothing we can do. See ya. But yeah. they fall around. They just... And yet they want this mass surveillance to track down these people. It's like, yeah. look in your office. Somebody's interviewing <laughs> them right now. <laughs> It's just crazy. And I don't want to say it's because one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing, although that's entirely possible. But there's something wrong with the system. It, it, this is how we do things. Yeah, you go tear up Texas. If, if you're going to go with conspiracy, whatever, um, one thing would be, yeah, they're, they're making work for themselves. Well... Oh, we must have more resources to fight all these nasty people. <laughs> these nasty people that we're goading into doing shit. Yeah. You know, it's like hitting a kid over and over again on the playground. Eventually, you hit the kid on the right day, he's going to go off. You know, it's almost that's from reading this and from looking at past investigations. It's almost like that's what they're doing. Intentional. Can I prove it? No, and it sounds strange to say it, and it makes me sound crazy, but it is a valid question. Even Why if they're it? not doing it, they need to be shut down and reorganized, because they keep letting these people do this shit. Agreed. <laughs> After Agreed. investigating them, it's like... It, it makes them look So at the very bad. least, they're incompetent and need restructuring. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, that's the nicest way to put this. And like I was saying, I really want to do this story, but I really don't want to do it because it makes me sound crazy. But it, these things are valid questions, right? Yeah. If these kind of things are happening, if the government is involved with them, if the government's agents are goading people into taking violent action, Shouldn't we be investigating the government for deliberately promoting terrorism? That's a valid point, right? It's a valid question. Um, and yet we keep ignoring that. We keep smacking our foreheads and going, oh my God, another terrorism attack. Oh my God, another mass shooting. And, and later it comes out that the FBI had had these people in custody and that it had talked to them and followed them around. I have the, real issues with it. Yeah, it's not just your lot. My, um, the lot we've got over here do it as well. Um, 
one of the guys, the Lee Rigby incident. Uh, yes. Yeah, he'd been held by authorities and questioned a lot. And they just let him go, because he seemed like a fine, upstanding citizen. The thing, I saw the video of it after, after, and he's standing there ranting to yep. the camera, and people are just pushing past him. They've watched him and his cohorts apparently just, you know, brutally kill this person and they're just pushing past him like, oh, this is a normal day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's London. I, that is a kind of weird place, but yeah. <clears throat> it, it was and it was the freakiest thing to see because he did this and, and he was actually respectful of the people who pushed past him and he didn't try to do anything to them. It, it was just the freakiest thing I've ever seen. And yeah, so yeah, he, he definitely was not right in the head. No, yeah. he wasn't. And they let him go. And yet, I know you have courts over there that investigate people all the time. Mm -hmm. You don't generally hear about that could hurt others. And for the safety and the well being of the community, these people get locked away and treated. Yes. And nobody ever knows about it. So this was not a case that was ripe for that. Well, in the UK, understand. we 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 well, I've I've talked with you about him before. We even yeah. have the case of the 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 one of the most violent criminals in the world who actually asked to be locked up. Yeah. What does yeah. he call it? He's, he's Charles Salvador these days. Yes. Yeah. Well, Charlie Bronson. Uh, yeah. There's a man you do not want to try and annoy. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's an interesting. But at least man. he's he's intelligent. He knows he's not right. Yeah. But. So I've made sure he kept getting locked up because he likes it in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there. I I guess in a prison society, there's a sense of structure. I don't know. Um. Well, he hasn't anyway. he hasn't had a really violent incident for quite a while now. He's enjoying his painting and poetry. So yeah. <laughs> well. You know, um, if that's a man who wants to paint and write poetry and read poetry, then by God, that's what you let him do. Because <laughs> the results of not letting him do it are pretty bad. I don't... Yeah, if anyone's not familiar with that that guy, yeah. Watch, watch the film Bronston. <laughs> he's, Tom Hardy's kind of breakout performance, really. Um, he's, he's an interesting fellow. Oh, yeah. Yikes. That's, that's he he really likes the film, by the way, apparently. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you were ever going to do a film, you know, if you were ever going to have a film done about you, it's important that you like the subject matter, I guess. Although, I, I have to wonder who was the idiot who was actually stupid enough to go and ask him what he thought about it. Because <laughs> if he hadn't <laughs> liked it, what were you going to do then? <laughs> Because you're now in a room with the incredibly violent guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's got all that going for it, I guess. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, there's, it, definitely, uh, uh, there's definitely something up when they can do these in-depth investigations into people, release them, and then the person goes and 
commits yeah. mass murder, basically. Um, like I said, it, it makes me feel like a kook for, for bringing up or asking a question, but they're valid questions to ask. Like, and yeah, why? I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, in the UK, we have laws, even section mm -hmm. people, because they're not yeah. right. You have laws like that as well. So yeah. when the FBI went, well, he hadn't committed any crimes, it's complete bullshit. If they thought the guy yeah. was unstable, they can keep yeah. him as long as they like. Exactly. <laughs> if you're a danger to yourself or the community, the government can have you locked up. They only yeah. have to go to court. I mean, and they can keep you for a certain amount of time. So why suddenly... Are we concerned with someone's race or religion or sex when it comes to these things? And why aren't we doing what the laws are set up for? If if you believe we need a government, right? why aren't they following their own rules when it comes to this stuff? That's a problem. It's a big problem. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, really... To be honest, under Ronald Reagan, a lot of this shit started coming to a head when the mental hospitals started closing to save money. Yeah. Okay, granted. But now you're letting these people out into the wild. There's nowhere for them to go. And if you've ever seen a state-run mental hospital, <laughs> you know, it's... And then all the cutbacks to the veterans' organizations, etc. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... It's just hard. It's a bitter pill to swallow all the way around. And the thought that these sort of things are being encouraged for whatever reason is it's really hard to swallow that. But it was really hard to swallow that the government was surveilling us as much as they were. That was always thought to be a joke or conspiracy theory. And I don't think it is anymore. So, yeah, I guess we're at a point where we need to question the system uh, yeah. yet again. <laughs> There's definitely something not working right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are many things not working right, but in this particular <laughs> case, there is something absolutely, definitely wrong well, with what the FBI has been getting up to. Well, you know, the FBI has done all kind of shady stuff. Yeah. All, all the government, you know, agencies do. This is possibly the worst of the worst. Well, yeah, again, so. the, the, the worst bit in some ways is the FBI standing there going, oh, yeah, yeah, we talked to him, oh, but he hadn't committed a crime, we'll let him go. At least yeah. when the CIA do dodgy shit, they don't stand <laughs> there going, yeah, we did it, but, yeah. <laughs> we did it, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, you will never get them to admit that they did something like that. Yeah. The FBI is just standing there, like with their arms folded, going, Oh, well, you've, you've hamstringed us with law and order yet again. No, that's not it, because there are laws on the books to protect people from, you know, who are unable to protect themselves, from people that are a danger to them. I'm not well, I mean, in Santiago's case, I mean, he went to an FBI office. Yeah. Help to me. hand himself in. And yeah. yet still they're like, ah, be fine. Be few, right. few weeks in a yeah. in a psychiatric ward of some sort and then kick back out on the street. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think either the mental health treatment that they're giving these people is not adequate. 
that's entirely possible. Or perhaps we shouldn't muddle around people who are having delusions and the like until they get to a point where they're clear and you can assess whether medications work. I don't know. Maybe they need longer treatment, less harassment from the FBI. I don't know. But somewhere in the middle of all that is an actual answer. <laughs> less meddling by the FBI, more medical treatment. Yeah. Either way, I asked it. It's a valid question. It's something that should be talked about, I think, because, you know, if you're going to have the government doing weird shit like this, you get more of that as the result, I guess, is here under the lesson. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I guess that's about it for this evening, unless you had something, Terry. No, no, I'm fine. Okay. Nothing so... outstanding has been happening over here. Ah, well, you know. Just usual Everything politicians else. arguing over Brexit, you know. Yeah. You know, didn't the people say this is our will and then, you know, then what happened? Everybody went, right, we're going to drag this out for as long as possible. You Basically, know, okay. yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, I don't know. The will of the people is to be respected in a free and open society, correct? Well, yeah. You and have a I, I, I sent you the link, but... <laughs> If if people want a summary of basically mostly UK politics for the last year, go on YouTube and look for Charlie Brooker's 2016 wipe. Yeah. It's That's very funny. But be warned, he is he has really dark sense of humor. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to laugh at this stuff, I think. Oh, and if you don't like sarcasm. Yeah, probably not a good watch for you. Yeah. So if you don't like sarcasm, you're screwed. And why are you listening to this show where 99% of the people on it kind of communicate with either sarcasm as their first or second language? I do not. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Muppets and Edward? Okay. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good night. We will see you next week.